Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I've transformed my body into a dangerous weapon. Now, before we continue, Zach, I want to say that there's another quote that I had. Uh, It's not from the movie, but it fits the format where it starts with, you know, I or I'm or things like that. But it was one that I wrote down while watching uh, 2002's Scooby-Doo. I wrote, quote, I knew Sugar Ray was in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I remembered that more than anything from this movie, I think. I mean, there's stuff I remember. Don't get me wrong. I've definitely seen this before. But there was a... There was a few points when I like started watching it where I was like, ooh, maybe I'm misremembering that because it's from the sequel. And I was trying to like, oh, what's going to happen in this movie versus what's going to happen in the sequel type of thing. Um, and I was waiting for Sugar Ray to show up, and Sugar Ray did. And uh, that whole moment where they're using the instruments to break into the cabin thing is, is fucking great. I loved it. <laughs> uh, Scooby-Doo 2002. What a, what a movie. Like, this is... This is a weird, like, blind spot in pop culture. Like, it's a thing that everybody – oh, God, if you were, what, at least six years old in 2002, you you saw this? Definitely. And yet, like, it's something that's there, but, like, we don't ever talk about it outside of James Gunn who just refuses to go away. Yes. I, I don't think I saw this movie in theaters. I'm pretty sure I saw the sequel in theaters at, like, a friend's birthday party. But I, I had definitely seen this movie before. Like, I could totally imagine that this was, like, an HBO, like, I caught oh, it, you know, when I was young. Because my parents were Warner like, Brothers it's Scooby-Doo, movie. you know? Go for it. Uh, little did they know, it's written by James Gunn, uh, hypersexualized and disgusting for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> Man, like, but like I said, like this is like a weird again. It go, it's up there with like the genesis of just how Hollywood works, like with an like a screenwriter's career to like filmmaker, and that like James Gunn will always find work because he can work with anybody. Yes, yeah. Like he he's able to basically give the people of power what they want and not losing his flair, even if it gets considerably watered down. Which is <laughs> this is probably the greatest example of James Gunn's like tone being watered down. Oh sure, sure. Um. I'm assuming we're going to have to talk about the whole, you know, the pre-watered-down version of what this movie was supposed to be. But I, I don't know if we want to jump off the bat with that, with the um, the uh, CGI'd-out cleavage on par with the CGI bras from the TV edit of Showgirls. <laughs> <laughs> but, Zach, I, I have to say that I think, for me, I know, I know we probably got into—no, sorry. I know we did get into this a lot uh, last week at the start of the 2002 Fort Month— but I think this is the true, you know, kind of start for me of the 2002 Fort Month. Not that I didn't see Attack of the Clones in theaters, but I think, like I said last week, that was the obligatory 2002 movie you were going to have to make us talk about. I think that was maybe the soft Tec- open. Te- this technically, was the, Rob, the, the grand technically, technically, the obligatory 2002 movie was Spider-Man. Oh, that's that's a good Technically, point. Technically, <laughs> that's the obligatory, which we already took care of uh, six months ago. Yes, yes. Uh, but it's very cool to talk about this movie. I hadn't seen it in a while. I, I wanted to ask you, because of course, with the Fort Month, I think, once again, another reason that last week was a soft open. It was almost a wash. Of course we saw that in theaters. But like I said, Zach, I don't think I saw this one in theaters. I think it was a TV, you know, HBO. I caught it then. I'm sure I knew some friends or cousins that, like, had it on VHS or something like that. 
Um, but I have to know, Zach, uh, why does this one fall into the 2002 Fort Month? Did you see this in theaters? Oh, Rob, I am so glad you asked that question. And I hope that you have the bleep button ready because you're going to hear I... a lot of it. <laughs> I think we all know where this is going yep, when it comes yep. to context time because there's going to be a lot of that this series. I should have I expected it. I should uh, – now that you know you put your camera on for these recordings, I should actually have like a um, – like a Staples, that was easy. Ask button for the bleep to try and just soundboard it in immediately. Just, just, just do a rust thing where I just like push the yes. button, just get ready for it. Yes, but see, the, right. if I actually did that, the problem would be that I would accidentally lean on it and it would just bleep for like a minute straight, and I go, "Oh shit!" <laughs> and then I wouldn't be able to edit it out. It's, it's like it's like when they redact whole pages of things. It's like, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be easier to throw it out after a while? Um, oh no. Okay, so this is the thing. This movie comes out in June of two thousand two. Um, again, caught in the, like, the weird childhood guilt of, like, when a Star Wars movie comes out and I see another movie in theaters that's not Star Wars. Um, I remember, like I said, I had a, like, as a kid, had a passive interest in Scooby-Doo. Like, watched it on Cartoon Network back in the day when Cartoon Network used to air, like, a lot of Hanna-Barbera before it became, like, a network of its own thing. And always like Scooby Doo. Like I always I I liked OG Scooby Doo as in like the '60s series. None of the, like the weird sort of things they did with like oh god with like just Scooby and Shaggy yeah. or like Daphne and Scrappy Doo. Like the weird weird like just things they did to try and reinvent that series. I also liked the pup named Scooby Doo. And so when this guy was like like being real like again i can only imagine the marketing blitz that happened in the spring and early summer of 2002 for this like on nickelodeon cartoon network etc um yeah so like my mother took my nephew and i to go see this and i i was rather neutral on it at the time like i was kind of like okay like it was neat Mm -hmm. like Again, as much as a nine-year-old can be about a movie like this, I'm like, yeah. Um, I remember my mother, like, in the most <sighs> least enthusiastic way possible, being, like, disgusted by the farting sequence. Oh, okay. I mean, that that is – I do have written down that that is one of the worst things I've ever seen. <laughs> so it's, I'm with it's, her. Like, it, it's, it's pandering to children, and the, the, my main memory from this film and after seeing it in 2002 was – the entire theater guffawed at that moment. Really? Like, oh like God. imagine, okay. like, again, this is the same audience that would grow into clapping for Captain America showing up in Avengers <laughs> Infinity War. Um, but, like, I remember the entire theater guffawing. And then afterwards, after the movie's over, my mother, like, explained to – I don't know who it was. It might have been my father. It might have been my nephew's parents. Just being like – Yup, and the kids in the audience really ate that up. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> like it also makes me think of, like, you mentioned the Nickelodeon marketing for this. That must have been so much in the marketing. Like, Nickelodeon in the early 2000s, we've talked about it before, that whole thing where the the marketing tactic to kids was just like, look how gross this is, you know? Like, that was all they needed to say. I, I It makes perfect sense for this time of, you know, American kids' culture. It's it is like it's it's all I, I get like children love potty humor like there's no point in trying to dissect that, um but that fart sequence is just like it's it's play like oh god what was the term in um when Shakespeare what was it the global theater globe theater where like would play to the imbeciles in the audience isn't there a term for that yeah probably I know what you're talking about and okay there's I a there's a term saying, in yeah. literary literary writing when you like 
write stuff that's extremely lowbrow to appeal to the peanut gallery. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and that's what that is. Like it's, it's doing exactly what it needs to do. Like, it's not like they backed into it or they stumbled into it or it's accidental. They wrote that knowing that like pretty much anybody under the age of nine would just sit there, be losing their mind over it. Yeah. So like, that's the thing. My biggest takeaway from Scooby-Doo 2002, um, both then and now is that everything in the movie feels deliberate and it's it's doing what it wants and it more or less succeeds at everything it wants. So it was it's weird. Like in my research for this, like I looked at like the Rotten Tomatoes score, I looked at reviews at the time, and then even like I listened to a couple podcasts and we possibly have another quasi revelation on the same size as like Amazon Women on the Moon. Oh wow, okay. Um, when it comes to like this movie and podcast. I listened to two different podcasts on this movie, and I'm pretty sure it was the exact same people. Like I'm pretty sure because it was the same thing of two dudes and a girl and both of them sound identical and talked about like the exact same things. Oh, interesting. And they both had the same perspective. Like the female host is just like weirdly clueless about the topic. And then like, there's the one like, Oh God. I'm, I feel like I'm getting in trouble if I say this. Don't we worry, Zach. Have... I have the bleep button right here. Okay. <laughs> I feel like you might have to bleep this out too. There's the host. That's okay. becoming a weird staple of every podcast. Um, this is up there with the if you are a man, a woman doing a podcast, and unless you're married, the dude wants you. Um, on top of that, we now have host. Okay, okay, sure. Um, very extremely soft spoken to the point where like you could almost mistake them. Like I said, I'm gonna go down the rabbit hole too far because I listen to two different podcasts. I'm like, and after a while, I literally sat there. I'm like, did I hit the same? Like, did I like weirdly stumble upon someone just doing like a redux of yeah. like a previous discussion? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. No, very, very strange. But no, but listening to like these podcasts, like I watched a couple of YouTube videos, obviously, on the whole like James Gunn claiming there's like an, a hard R cut of this movie, which yep. there isn't. Um, basically, the MPAA didn't understand some of the jokes and they're just like R. Um, and some test screenings went weird from what I heard, from what I was reading too. Like there was never an R cut of this movie. Um, James Gunn is doing what we like to call revisionist history, yes, where he's trying you. to, he's trying to weirdly create an alternate cut of the movie that never existed through tweeting <laughs> which is kind of fascinating is like something that like when it comes to just like weird cinematic culture like in the social media age um again very very strange and then um, but yeah that's pretty much it with this movie like we'll definitely get into more specifics but broad um it's a movie that anybody, like I said, like who watched it as a child in the early 2000s, I think enjoyed. I don't even want to say like or loved. Mm. I think they enjoyed it. And then like it just became this weird like cinematic pariah in that like we just don't talk about this. Absolutely. Like, we, don't, we do not talk about it. Everybody's seen it. Um, it's like a weird inverse Shrek almost um, in that way where like everybody has like – I, most people have only seen Shrek 1, Shrek 2, yet seem to, like, be like think of it as a beloved franchise, even though they've only seen the first two. And Scooby-Doo feels like the opposite of that, where everybody's seen the first and second movie, yet they hate the films. I am and so glad that you're making this comparison, Zach, because you are hitting on exactly something I wanted to talk about. If you remember from our Shrek discussion, uh, we, we posited – or I posited the theory from some stuff I found that I, I now subscribe to – 
is that Shrek became such a beloved meme is because people had to make fun of it in some weird roundabout way of making fun of themselves for liking something so stupid. It's like a weird form of Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, this is the exact opposite. I, I'm with you. I don't think anybody holds this movie in high regard or any, any massive, you know, subset of the population. Of course, it has its fans like everything does. You can find the um, the errant five-star letterbox reviews for this movie, of course. But the thing is, the lasting legacy of this movie is also the Shaggy meme. And no one yeah. used that ironically. People were actually like, no, Matthew Lillard is going to go Super Saiyan in real life one day. And we're not making fun about how bad the movie is. We're actually saying that because we appreciate Matthew Lillard. So it is in almost every way, not only in, like you said, the knowledge of this movie or the cultural imprint of this movie, but in the meme imprint of this movie. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's something I was thinking about these last few days. I was like, man, Matthew Lillard's great. I wonder if Zach's going to remember his character's name from Twin Peaks The Return. Probably not. <laughs> but I know his head explodes. His... <laughs> Right? Yes. No, his okay. head his head does explode, it, it, but his name is not Mr. Head Explodington or anything like that. Okay. It's William right. Hastings. Um, but I was also thinking about, like, but everybody knows the Shaggy memes, and nobody used those ironically where I think they're using the Shrek ones as, you know, like, Shrek is love, Shrek is life, let me write, you know— a 15-line green text about Shrek, like, banging me at night or something like that. Like, nobody's doing that because they appreciate Shrek. It's because they have that weird sense of morbidity towards themselves. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves the Shaggy meme. I don't think there's a single person who did not like the Shaggy meme. Hell, Zach, I remember in the Knights of Vader Facebook group, it took it over for, like, a week, and I was like, yeah, I'm seeing it yeah. everywhere. <laughs> the Shaggy thing, like, again, I was thinking about that as well, and the thing I kept thinking about is that, like, is this is Matthew Lillard's portrayal of the character of Shaggy? Is this one of the top five like perfect adapt like, translations from like source A to like transition B? Like, is this like is is this a top five like adaptation of something else? I I was thinking something along the same lines, and I have to say it is like it really like after I watched Scooby Doo the live action movie, you know, I hadn't watched a cartoon of scooby-doo in the longest time and i went back with the purposes of seeing it's like well what was shaggy like and stuff like that and of course it's a little more over the top in this movie i think there's the whole notion of just you know transitioning cartoon into live action but he's like spot on i love that he's not really trying to do like a a nailed down casey Kasem voice like he's really making the voice his own thing he's really making it more of a modern update not that shaggy was never supposed to be somewhat stoner inspired but you know he's definitely updating i think i think it's up there i think it's fantastic and zach i have to ask you on that while we're on matthew lillard do do you remember his cameo in looney tunes back in action I don't know when the last time you saw no. that was, but I, I watched I've that I've never seen Back in Action. Oh, I love that movie. Um, uh, it clearly was not talked about in movies, uh, Unexpected Love, because that is a truly expected love. There's a scene where I think, like, um, uh, Bugs Bunny is at, like, at a restaurant with, um, I think, Jenna Elfman, one of the executives. I think it's her, maybe the Warner Brothers... And the establishing shot of the scene is it like is panning over the restaurant, and of course it's a blend of live action and and uh, animation. And you get the one where like uh, Porky Pig is stuttering, and he's like, "And that's all they want me to do is st- st- stutter," you know that type of stuff. But one of the things they pan across 
is animated Scooby-Doo and Shaggy sitting at a table with Matthew Lillard, and animated Shaggy is banging his fist on the table saying, you played me like a total moron, man. You didn't do me justice. And Matthew Lillard profusely apologizing. It's a very good cameo, and I didn't fully understand it again until rewatching Scooby-Doo. <laughs> yeah, that's... The Matthew Lillard thing is like... I think it's even in like the Rotten Tomatoes like consensus is like it highlights Matthew Lillard's like performance by name. And I'm just like... Like, is that going to be the legacy of this movie? <laughs> is that Matthew Lillard weirdly became the character? Like, like he somehow did such a perfect job of adapting the character yep. that, that that will be the only takeaway from this movie. Yeah. I, I think and that's so strange. It is. It is absolutely strange. I think that what you just said is now immortalized by his existence in the meme world. And even though I think, you know, that... God, I don't remember how long ago that was, but that meme kind of came and went. It's still going to live on forever. Like, if you use that meme somewhere, people are still going to get it, you know? Um, I th- And I think the only thing that could get close to being, like, the lasting legacy or idea or moment, whatever you want to say from this movie, is, and I'm biased, Zach, Linda Cardellini. <laughs> I, I think that people still, to this day, whenever they do the reboots, so they have someone uh, someone new playing um, Velma and saying Jinkies, they always look back to Linda Cardellini and go, this one pretty much nailed it. But she's overshadowed by Matthew Lillard, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like, I, again, thinking about this movie, I think this has to be the most perfectly cast blockbuster maybe ever. Okay. Like I, everybody likes to look at what J.J. Abrams Star Trek is like the perfect like casting of a movie, mm-hmm. and I look at this and I'm like, like it, it's uh, like because again like everybody is judging this on I don't even know what level they're judging it on, but like it's based on a pretty shallow like cartoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like how do you add depth to any of this? Um, it, it's as much depth as you could depth as you could possibly ever ask for from a cartoon to live action film. And and that's the thing, like, even though Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince Jr., which at the time that was like a big deal, because, oh, like, yeah. they're a date, I don't know if they were married yet, but it was like, oh, they're a couple in real life and they're going to be Daphne and Fred. And that was a big thing. And like, you look at it now, 20 years later, them still together. And it's like, it, it, it works. Like, it's not as, I, I guess... Again, Fred and Daphne aren't really too showy of characters to begin with. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to like – again, clearly Matthew Lillard had a lot more to work with being shaggy than than they did. But relative to what Fred and Daphne are, Freddie Prinze Jr. and Sarah Michelle Gellar do a solid job, especially considering that like both of them are being – I don't want to say forced, but just – having to update the character to some degree. Yes, yes. I'm with you. Like, I think they're great. I mean, Sarah Michelle Gellar, you know, I, I have had told my stories. I have problems with Buffy, but, you know, Sarah Michelle Gellar as a Krista now, or Krista Kapowski, a.k.a. Krista now from Southland Tales is a fantastic performance. Freddie Prince Jr., I kind of have forgotten about as my life has gone on, <laughs> but he was he was good to see. One of my biggest issues in this movie is that I think Rowan Atkinson has fuck all to do until the very end. Like, he has nothing, and that's a little upsetting to me. He's there for the parents. Like, he feels very much as a thing for the parents. Again, this is a movie that's trying to have its cake and eat its two with any kid's movie, where it's trying to obviously 
the, the kids can't drive themselves in the movie theater. So it's trying to give parents something else. We and need I think to that's change where... that, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that's the thing. Is it like Rowan Atkinson is meant to be there? Like it's for dad that's being dragged to like to this movie. It's like, oh, it's Mr. Bean. Um, you know, you know, I, you're right. When you say it that way, you're actually right. I was thinking that there's another person in this movie that's for dad, and it's the cold open uh, cameo of Pamela Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> that scene, like that, I, I forgot. Okay, it should be said that like this. This backtracking a little to context is that like saw this once in theaters. Didn't really ever think about it again. Like I know I bought it. I think I got the DVD when it came out later that year in the okay. fall. Um, it was one of those glorious, glorious like Warner Brothers cases, like we talked with the Matrix, where it had, like a little snap thing. I think what we talked about too with Wild Wild West, oh, sure. like cardboard with a little plastic. Snap. Again, glorious. Um, then like the second movie came out, and I remember seeing that, being like, oh okay, like I saw that in theaters, and I know that one very. I know one of the biggest complaints about that first movie was that like, oh, it didn't really have any featured scooby-doo villains like mm-hmm. what like, was it the um scuba not scuba diver the um oh god the, the pressure suit diver what, oh what, sure yeah it's you know i, I mean. can picture it yeah 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 and like oh god all, all your typical scooby-doo villains that kind of just like the person with the mask like yep. stuff is being conjured in your head right now if you ever watch og scooby um and I remember the second movie like went over like a lead balloon. Like that second movie, I think literally made half as much money. Like it's Ooh. weirdly enough, like a Matrix Reloaded to Revolutions <laughs> level drop. Like it's a like clearly like that first movie made like a hundred and fifty million dollars in the summer of two thousand two, which yeah. for a kids movie is insane. Like Absolutely. kids movies are lucky if they break like sixty million. And you had a movie that like almost get more than doubled that. Second movie comes out less than two years later. And it's more faithful to the cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> and and like it's it's pretty much everything. You could, again, I haven't watched that second movie probably since it came out. Yeah, I was um, tempted I remember to... it being good. I remember okay. it being solid for what it was. Um, maybe that could be wrong. Maybe I'm misremembering it. Maybe it's another Amanda show dilemma. Yeah. I was tempted um, to rewatch it before this. I just didn't have time. And I, with how much there is in this movie, I think, you know, we had, we didn't well, need to Rob, We have to save something for this, for the 2004 sport year. Like we have to, the <laughs> okay. 2000. 2000- Four year because of course 2004 was very low on movies we can't steal anything from it now <laughs> <laughs> come on bro we should devote an entire month of van helsing uh what i um, oh god that movie's horrible um <laughs> what i do know what i do remember for some reason i remember like i said before i saw the second one in theaters definitely it was at a friend's birthday party i'm there's no way it was my birthday party but i remember being in the theater and like you know getting there for you know beforehand you know for the 20 or whatever you know um not aware of who maria menunez was when i was that young um but i remember like me being like a little disdainful for it like i was like i don't really want to see this type of thing like i remember that for some reason that's it i remember nothing else about the movie this one though i think i agree i agree with you before and i still do when I saw this when I was younger, I liked it. You know, I probably watched it on HBO Bunch, watched it with VHSs. I remembered Sugar Ray being in it. I remember the whole ending with Scrappy-Doo, you know? Like, that even yep. stuck out to me. Um, and, but then even when I rewatched it, there was stuff that, uh, 
I, I guess I should say, because I think we're both in agreement that when you were younger, you saw this movie, you know, you were our age, and so what, we would have been 9, 10, anywhere in that, yeah. that age bracket. You know, you just liked it. It's goofy fun. It's it's crazy goofy, you know? Um, it, it, it does the same thing that I think um, I, we last talked about with Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, where in the opening scene, physics are thrown out the window, and you just go, oh, that's the movie I'm watching. And it comforts you a little bit more that you're going to be living in something so fanciful. But I have to say, overall, I this is not, like, my favorite movie. I don't hate it. I don't really love it. There's some funny moments I want to talk about. But overall, I'm just kind of like, eh, you know? I think some of the James Gunn of it, like, the... Uh, the the disgusting stuff, you know, the gross-out humor. Like you said, I totally get it, but it doesn't work for me. But I have to ask you, Zach, now re-watching it after all this time, because I think you said it's been a while since you rewatched it, um, what do you think? Are you into uh, Scooby-Doo 2002? Uh, with the, I also want to mention, because I just saw it on my notes, the fantastic poster tagline, Be afraid. Be kind of afraid. <laughs> That's a great even, line. Like, even even the poster for this is kind of great. Like if you look at that like main theatrical poster, yes, it's very bare bones. But like in spring of two thousand two, like going to see Spider Man and seeing that in the theaters, it's like okay, like they made Spider Man. Why not? Yep. Like this yep. this feels like. Like, like very similar to like what Alice in Wonderland was for Avatar, like a coattails movie. Ah, it was like sure. like they did Spider Man so right. Like Spider Man's a cartoon. Why? Like, and I think again that poster is so good. Like it's so it's so like it's exactly what you think it is. It really it's, is great. I'm, I pulled it up because I made the episode logo for this already, and it has the tagline at the top: "Be afraid, be kind of afraid." That's fantastic. It has the five characters with the um, silhouette of the ghost from the beginning behind it. And the ghost is such a great design. But then this is, this is like the masterstroke. Bottom of the poster, it says in all capitals, big letters, Scooby-Doo, because that's the name of the movie. And then underneath it, the billing is Daphne, Shaggy, Velma, Fred. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. That's, that's some awesome shit right there as far as yeah, I'm concerned. It's, it's, like I said, that's the thing about this movie is that you can't get a better live action adaptation of the Scooby-Doo cartoon than this. <laughs> um, I don't want to say, it's, it's perfection or maybe not perfection. Perfection comes with a lot of like baggage, that sure. word. It's, it's finally attuned of an adaptation of a sixties cartoon you could possibly ever ask for or expect. Are, are you saying maybe that you 40 years later, maybe 40 years. Okay. Later, Do, are later. you saying, cause I think it's roughly the same time frame that this is a better adaptation than the Flintstones movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what, but like I think that's the problem though. Is that like the reason why this movie has this weird like air of disdain around it is that like everybody consumed it and mm-hmm. it, it continued to exist in the pop culture, even if it's just kind of like a loose strand here or there. Whereas like obviously the Flintstone live action movies came and went. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, you're definitely right that I think um, whether or not – I don't really know if I can parse through if it was my being old enough because what? The Flintstone movies was mid-90s? Mid-90s. Late-90s? Mid to okay, late-90s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's two of them. There was two there of them. There were two. The Flintstones. Movies. Then it was like oh, Viva, Lock, Los, Viva, Viva Las Vegas. Viva Rock Vegas, uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. 
Uh, for anyone who doesn't remember, the villain of the first Flintstones movie is Kyle MacLachlan, and it's about corporate malfeasance. Um, <laughs> it's a, we should actually discuss that one day. Uh, I might eat my words on that. But, but no, I, I think you are absolutely right. Like, whether it be the time period for me, whether it be just the time period for, you know, I think one of the things we've been discussing a lot, you know, in the 2001 Fort year that we will in the 2002 Fort month, that how this period of movies was so formula formative for so many people um yeah i'm with you that this one sticks the, all the other ones kind of come and go and i mean even you know maybe it's not exactly the same i think it's more i'm more biased because i really love the movies but the adams family movies from the early 90s i don't think they've stuck around as well as this but people like them uh, but you know i i think i think what i'm getting at is you're right you know this might have just been the sweet spot for this type of adaptation to live action it, it is. It's a weird Goldilocks zone that I think no one could possibly appreciate. It's those things where, like, is like okay, when you think of a cartoon being adapted to live action, like, okay, what is the what are you determining as success? Mm. And that's the thing where, like, obviously you have all these weird – again, this is something where I know Rob's going to hate me and it's still kind of to be determined. But, like, as time goes on, I think we have to discuss Hack Snyder's Justice League oh, because – and this goes back – this goes to this because ever since that happened – and this is a big thing, like, ever since Rob and I, like, that was first announced, like, two years ago, Rob and I talked about is that, like, Hack Snyder's Justice League isn't being – like. That's not like that thing getting re whatever you want to call it redone yeah yeah out whatever you want to call it the actual content isn't interesting it's the notion that a studio actually it's the first time on that scale a studio agreed to something like that yes and I'm totally with you there and if we could discuss just that and I don't have to watch the movie I would you have to watch all four hours of it with the with the Jared Leto Joker stuff like on repeat for an additional four hours. (laughs) This is uh, you getting me back for Spirited Away when I bought you that TV <laughs> that only plays Spirited Away. <laughs> no, but that's the thing, though, is that, like, we, we look at this Scooby-Doo thing, and now this movie has gotten a weird resurgence because, like, it's now weirdly being placed in the category of lost media. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's it's not lost media. It's alternate take media. Yeah, yeah. It's the notion of, like... <sighs> It wouldn't be that interesting. It's that it's also it's up there with the other thing of like even Star Wars, like the idea of like the lost cut of Star Wars, which is like the initial cut where like it had horrible pacing. Oh yeah. yeah. It's it's like it isn't alternate cut, I guess, but it was something that was never intended. Um and that's the thing. James Gunn was not the editor or the filmmaker. He mm-hmm. was the writer. Um so clearly he had ideas, but it was never something that was meant to be seen to its conclusion. Um, and that's what's so frustrating because like, even he's had to go on the record a couple of times and he's like, everyone's like, oh, release the James Gunn cut. And he's like, I'm not the director. Like it's released the what Raja Gosnell cut. Yeah. If you were to call it that. Yep. And and that's the issue is that it, it, it doesn't like clearly from deleted scenes. We know they were going for some more risque things here and there. Yeah, yeah. But I think, again, that was meant to appease like a more teenage audience. Um, I, I clearly, I know there's what one deleted scene where like Daphne's walking around. She sees like once Velma has been, um, we want to call it, where we want to call it, like exercise. Yeah, the, what, I, I was about to say reverse like, exorcism. I was gonna say reverse possessed, possessed or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we see her like in a bikini, like dancing around, like was in the locker room or yeah. wherever it is. And it's like I think that was there to appeal to teenage boys. Um. 
like I don't men think it was meant to be like oh hard R Scooby Doo. Yeah. Like it's it's not it's it's meant to be raunchy, but like in a very very mild way. And I think once again the internet's just kind of making something out to be what it wants to be. Yeah. The idea of a R A Scooby Doo is a fascinating topic, especially for a movie that like most millennials grew up with. But that is not the reality of the situation. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more because I've always heard that. Maybe not always, but, you know, it, it's always been in the back of my head that there was, you know, the um, whole they had to CGI out cleavage and there was going to be like, you know, a girl on girl kissing scene. And Fred was supposed to be gay and that was going to be a reveal at the end of the movie, you know, and stuff like that. And I, and I think like, again, I could see James Gunn, especially on the how, how old James Gunn is, as in what year he is born. But I could see him like in his 20s being like, yeah, I'm going to sit there, do this. And, and it's going to be very similar to like what he's done with everything else in his career yeah yeah um the idea of like oh god was it in super um ellen page humps rain wilson um it's, she straight it? up like rapes him like he yeah def- he definitely I mean. is like no i am married do not have sex with yeah. me and she does <laughs> that's what i mean i could see him doing that as like an f you to like oh god story conventions like i could yeah. see him doing that um but like I think some of the risque, raunchy stuff was there for teenagers, mm-hmm. and then the whole thing was probably that. I also heard it wasn't just the MPAA. The story too is they did test screenings, and like like mothers were pearl clutching, yeah, and yep. being like, "Why is this in this movie? Like, I don't want to take my son and daughter into this," and and that's what it was. And Warner Brothers is like, "Okay, like we want a PG." And it's not into, again. Everybody has to realize too. We also live in a world. Where like now every movie is rated PG thirteen. Yeah, every yeah. movie to the point where I've actually heard that if a movie's rated G, studios freak out because they think it's going to disenfranchise <laughs> anybody with children over the age of five. Okay, like it's the point where like you get PG or PG thirteen. Nobody wants an R. Nobody wants a G rating. Mm-hmm. Um, even like oh god, I'm trying to figure out what the last G movie was. I think it might have been. Oh god, was it Zootopia? No, it wasn't no Zootopia. But like there was some Disney movie or something came out that was G. Everyone like freaked out. And one of the reasons yeah. I think the movie didn't do too well. And it like it was like, oh, we think one of the reasons why is because of the rating. Like the weird sort of like non-story that's surrounded this film in the last five years is kind of almost more fascinating than the movie itself. Sure. Like this is this is a mundane movie. Like, there's nothing revelatory about it. Um, like, the most interesting thing about this movie are the actors portraying cartoon characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, w- I was about to say, you know, when you said there's nothing revelatory about it, I was about to say, have you seen the sweater Linda Cardellini wears? That's pretty revelatory. <laughs> um, I, I read the same thing about that uh, the screen test stuff that you just mentioned, and that's where it really kind of came together with me that James Gunn is trying to rewrite this through tweets, like you said, which is a great phrase. It It's because it came across to me from the quotes that I read is that it was basically, like you said, these mothers pearl-clutching, the parents, the older ones saying, you know, not that it's like, oh my god, this is hard R, I can't take my kids to it. It was that they just put in a little too many or pushed a little too far with those jokes that are meant for the adults, like every kids' movie has, you know, like the um, like Pamela Anderson shows up and Pamela Anderson's like, "Oh, you saved my warehouse from being haunted. I can go back to making action figures of me," you know, and the whole thing with um, Isla Fisher being, you know, Mary Jane—that's my favorite name, man. You know that type of thing. Mm-hmm. I, it came across to me in like the early screenings; they just went a little too far with it, and then just had to tone it down. 
And, you know, I don't think there was ever, like, this super hard R cut or anything like that. I mean, that would have to been, like, this movie would be so much more of a mess or reshot completely to get what we have out of a hard R, at least as, as far yeah. as I'm, I think. Absolutely, because I know James Gunn's like, yeah, Velma's going to be completely homosexual, like, gay. And then the studio <laughs> sat there, did this, and they watered it. They, they chipped away at it until this. Then, like, there's, like, proof that, like, from, like, one of James Gunn's earliest, like, scripts, like, it's verbatim dialogue in the final film. And it's like, oh, so they chipped away that much? Like, again, I, I don't, again, I don't trust James Gunn. Um, he seems a very, a, a very opportunistic individual. Yes. Um, and again, like, again, he, he's a weirdo and he's a very successful weirdo that knows how to navigate the studio system. So we got to give yeah. credit where credit is due. Like you said, but again, I'm, but I'm, it's weird for him to sit there trying to what almost 20 years later, sit there again, re oh God, retell the story of a movie that really nobody feels too passionately about. Exactly. And I think I, my theory, and of course this is now just going off of what I know about James Gunn, what I know about, you know, the opportunistic Twitter sphere, I could totally see that, you know, some post on Reddit or Tumblr or whatever blew up one day, and it was about, like, somebody just picking and choosing screenshots from the movie, this movie, um, lines of dialogue from this movie, you know, just picking ones out and going like, oh my god, look how crazy this looks, look how risque it is. Like, I'm sure there was the, um, Pamela Anderson shows up at the beginning. And then, you know, oh, Isla Fisher's name is Mary Jane, and he's clearly referencing marijuana. And then the whole thing at the end, when what, they switch bodies and... Sarah Michelle oh, yeah. Gellar's like, I'm going to check my, I'm going to look at my boobs in the mirror, you know? I could totally imagine a Reddit post blew up. The internet was like, oh, wow, this movie was really crazy and raunchy, and we never even knew it because we were children. And James Gunn see that, sees that and goes, well, here's my fucking train to ride on. Like, I can tell everybody that there was a hard R cut, and I'm going to be trending for, you know, three days. So hopefully they'll let me make another Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I don't know my timeline this specifically. Hopefully they'll make me let make another movie after I talked about how a shower in a hotel room was so weak it was like a child peeing on my head if anybody remembers that was one of his tweets that he got cancelled for <laughs> that's the thing and I also wondered too because like if you like because again in both podcasts I listened to which sounded like the exact same people doing the exact same thing they both like the first scene they always mention is the body switching scene okay and they go to the thing of like, oh, like obviously with with Fred and Daphne's body being like, I'm gonna look at myself naked. Yeah, yeah. Um, and everyone just like loses their mind at that. And it's like there is no, no, oh god, adolescent boy, if he ever ever had a chance to like do that specific thing of like body swapping, would not say that. Like Absolutely. that's like the like it's a low hanging fruit yes. joke. Yes. Um, if there ever was one, I think the movie plays it pretty well within the context of the scene. Mm -hmm. But I think also considering that like James Gunn has become like another one of these uh, lieutenants of the woke like mob, I could see him also feeling that he has to get out ahead of this Ooh. and being like, no, 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 no. This was not my intent. I wanted this movie progressive and the studio forced me into a corner. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could definitely see that I could, for sure. And that's where I think by him sitting there doing that, he's like, okay, I've established for the record that A, the studio, like, I was very, very progressive with this movie, and the final 
iteration was not my intent. I could see as being a weird form of like insurance almost yeah. for his career. <laughs> Definitely. Now I'm trying to where where was he at this point? Of course, just writing. I don't think this he... was like 2020. I, I, from the tweets that I saw, this was all like January of 2020. Like he was oh, like wow. doing okay. all this. So like this is like you're talking like he's making the Suicide Squad during this. Uh, like Marvel's okay. already hired him back for Guardians of the Galaxy. So like he's in a solid. Like he he's rebounded pretty well. Um, but again, I, I don't know. Like, it, it's like, again, James Gunn's also weird because a couple, what, weeks ago, he was, like, tweeting, like, how Star like, he was trending for, like, four days straight because, like, he tweeted Rogue One's the most underappreciated Star Wars thing to ever exist. Okay. And it's like, have you ever talked to a Star Wars fan before? <laughs> Rogue One's the only thing everybody likes. It's the only yeah, so, yeah. like, like it's, again, I, I think James Gunn is very, very disconnected from just what... Oh God, mass audience. Not and it sounds so so wrong. Just like what I'm about to say, but like he seems like someone who's very disconnected from like what pop culture thinks of like media. Sure, sure. Yeah, I'm, very disconnected. Yeah, I had to remind myself of his well, other than the big ones, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, his his filmography. I think he's only made one good movie, and I to be fair, I never saw The Suicide Squad. Um, but Super is an actual good movie, I think. I mean, it's a very messed up movie, but it's a fantastic ending. Um, everybody knows what I think about Guardians of the Galaxy. And what happens it, to Ellen Page in Super? She she gets like what shot in the face her, or something. Like her this. head gets blown off in the that's uh, why, in the final that's siege why, of Kevin Bacon's like drug house type. That's of thing. what I thought. Yep. Yeah, yep. I, I thought that she like yeah like it's a very very grotesque kill for her. Oh yeah. Oh, it's it's rough, and um, you know, there's actual emotion to it, even though. You know, yeah, he, he did yeah, get raped and stuff like that. But that ending with with his wall, and he's like, "Now I have great moments all the time." Like that's such a great ending. And one day, Zach, I don't know if we'll ever discuss Super, but we will discuss Slither one day. I will somehow get you to do that in a monstover. We need to discuss Slither <laughs> one one day. We will definitely talk about the opening montage music thing of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Yeah, well, I think I've done that one today. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, we've already done that, Zach, like four times already, <laughs> uh, and I'll do it again. Damn it. You know. <laughs> All right. But, speaking of yeah, Monstober, real quick. Uh-oh. In one like of the two podcasts I listened to, at one point they start talking about this, and they're like, "Oh, I watch this movie like every year around Halloween time." And as I thought about that, I'd already watched the movie, mm. and I thought, like, is there anything about this movie that gives it that like spooky feeling that like a Hocus Pocus does or a Halloween Town? Do you get anything like? specific to the holiday of halloween from this no like, could you ever if i were to suggest um, have suggested this for a monstober would you have questioned it i probably would have my my immediate thought is that people are thinking of oh scooby-doo scooby-doo villains are like people pretending to be specters or ghosts or ghouls or monsters or something like that i could get the halloween vibe there but you know at oh I was about to say, because you mentioned Hocus Pocus, you mentioned Halloween Town, you know, those, you know, they were on TV nonstop when we were growing up, that type of thing. I think those all fall into the category of there's an actual, like, sinister plot going on. Like, I think Hocus Pocus is what? Like, they're they're trying to, like, take over the town or kill a bunch of kids or whatever the hell yeah. they're doing. Like, Halloween Town is definitely, like, the, if the bad guy wins, the bad guy is going to, like, take over Halloween Town and stuff like that. This movie clearly does have that. There is this whole, like, you know, reverse possession, brainwashing, take over the world thing, but it does not come across anywhere near as, 
you know, grave or or heavy as these other movies where I think, you know, this movie never, I think, gets it never gave me the tone of like, oh, man, this could be bad. You know, they might not succeed where I feel like when I was a kid and I would be like, watch Halloween Town, I'd be like, man, you know, maybe like they got to succeed. This could be bad if they don't. And here I'm just like, it's fucking Scooby Doo. They're going to rip off someone's head and everybody's going to go home and they're going to solve mysteries again. You know, <laughs> There are like practically no stakes to any of this. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the best way to put it. And you know, it's maybe that's be- I don't remember how I felt when I was young, like watching this in two thousand two and and the year following. But like, I think part of me rewatching this and knowing that Rowan Atkinson was Scrappy Doo in a robot costume, whatever the hell you want to call it, that took away a lot of the stakes for me while watching the movie. Honestly, the the most harrowing part was Sugar Ray trying to break into that that barn thing with their instruments. <laughs> I think one of them comes through like the ceiling or something. <laughs> oh God, Mark McGrath. Um, yeah, that's the thing. Like, because what is even like we all like what is the plot of this? It's that like they're all invited to the island to solve a mystery as to like why are spring break teenagers like acting reformed? Yes. Um, and then it's and then all of a sudden we get all this weird like soul sucking stuff, and then Scrappy Doo is gonna become like a, a, a behemoth like hulk yeah i was trying to nail like that. there's no plot like, no the, not the, at all i mean the plot is non-existent the, the, if there was any plot it would be the gang has to get back together right <laughs> like it's Which almost... is essentially resolved what in the first uh 15 minutes of yeah, the movie yeah yeah um but i i was trying to nail that down too and the only thing i could think of was just like well knowing that Rowan Atkinson is just Scrappy Doo, you know, in costume, whatever, like in a in a mech type of mecha mecha Mr. Bean, you know. Um that it seems like his motivation was like, Oh, I used to be part of the gang, but you kicked me out because I was so power hungry, so I'm gonna be even more power hungry. Like it's very shallow, and it's just there to say, like, hey, you know, we need to end this movie. It is only eighty six minutes long or something. Oh, thank God. Like like that's yes. like can we please applaud the fact that this is like a very brisk, like eighty-minute movie, like oh, getting rid of the credits? It was so like refreshing. This, everything again. Probably the greatest triumph of any film is to be under ninety minutes. <laughs> Definitely, it's funny, you know. It gets it. Well, it's fun that it's that short. You get in, you get out. I don't feel feel like I dragged or it dragged at all or anything like that until really the ending, where they're trying to put weight on all this stuff that's happening, and I'm just like, no, rip someone's mask off. I mean. The whole supernatural, actual supernatural thing in this movie definitely didn't rub me the right way. Like, I liked that the cold open was, oh, let's take the mask off the ghost. It was you, Mr. Jenkins. You didn't get a Pamela, you know, action figure or whatever, you know, that type of thing. And then here, it being like an actual mystical entity that they can do something with, I'm like, that seems out of place, you know? Well, that was also a thing with, like, Scooby-Doo is, like, like a character, like, in the... um tv shows and stuff and that like again the dozens of iterations the show they did and then like did you remember though like in the 90s they started doing like what was it like it was really very macabre like the scooby-doo on zombie island thing oh yeah um, okay where it got very very intense relative to like what we always knew scooby-doo was um somewhere i have a vhs tape of like scooby like, it's like a, like it's like a vhs like recording of like scooby-doo on zombie island and it's like i only watched it once as a kid and i never went back to it because it was very very just haunting like okay. again i've not watched it in 20 oh god 20 plus years but i remember just thinking like oh god did i even at one point i have i have to send it to rob 
Um, it's it might be in the spreadsheet. It was one of the first things I ever put there. Was it like for promos for the Zombie Island TV movie? Mm-hmm. They did like all these faux like Scooby Doo Blair Witch project like TV spots. Um, very strange. This like, is very back much to me. I think now. What? Yeah, I, I feel I, like I, I remember this. Yeah, <laughs> it's in the spreadsheet, and I might have shared it with you at some point. I don't okay. remember. Um, but like that was like the turning point. It was like the mid to late nineties. They were like, yeah, like let's like like let's start making it more. Oh God, supernatural. Okay, okay. Which gotcha. I think I guess I like that. Like I again, I hate, and that's what the second movie really, really fall back upon was the idea of like, oh, it's a guy in a mask. Mm, like okay. sharks. I, I think what Seth Green's the villain in the second movie or something. <laughs> um, like, and they sit there, they do stuff like that. But I like the more, even though like it's very goofy in this. Um, at least it's, I guess it's the campy thing that gets me. Like sure. it is very campy because again we get the whole thing with like what. Um, not Arnold Vosloo and like, he just what practically disappears <laughs> from the movie. <laughs> not Arnold Vosloo. That's great. Um, which I think I know who you're talking about. Are you talking about, um, the, uh, the voodoo, uh, Miguel Nunez Jr. That character, the good guy mm. or the bad guy? Are you bad guy? Okay. Bad guy. Yeah. He disappears from the movie. Um, he, I, I had his name written. Nacho down. Libre. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Who has nothing to do other than just, like, be set up as a uh, antagonist for Daphne to beat yeah. up. Yes, yes, absolutely. So in the movie, um, the uh, not Arnold Vosloo is Nagu Tuana, and the luchador henchman is Zarkos. So now everybody knows. <laughs> the perfect, perfect. But then you have the I, – because I, I, he's on my brain because I want to talk about him. But um, the good voodoo guy who has, like, the Arnuki beast to, like, protect people, mm-hmm. that's Miguel uh, Nunez Jr., who I've seen in a bunch of things. He's been in, you know he, – he's run the gamut on Law and Order, Zach, and stuff like that. I bet. Um, but he also is in – one of the worst movies ever to put to film, Vikes with Sidney Sweeney. It's it's a bummer that that movie's so bad. He plays a character named Manifestus Devers. <laughs> but uh, it was it was crazy. Delightful. Like I saw him in I saw him in this movie, and I was like, oh my god! I'm like, that's uh, what's his name? What's his name? Where the hell did I just see him? You know, like a month, two months ago, or whatever. And then I was like, oh no, he was in Vikes. And if, if I won't go on the whole rant again here, but if Zach remembers off mic, I read him my letterbox review for Vikes, which is like 10 paragraphs long and is about burning pasta. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's horrible. But he's great. Miguel Nunez Jr. is great in this. Um, you know what? I mean, we've, we've jumped over a few different things, but I just want to say I totally forgot that it was Isla Fisher as uh, Mary Jane in oh, this yeah. movie. Oh, yeah. And I think it's because she does not have red hair. I never yeah. would have guessed that it was her if you told me it's like, oh, yeah, you know, you know, it's like it's uh, Isla Fisher. OK, so she's a redhead. Nope. She's she's a straight up blonde in this movie. Isn't she like eight? Like, it's like at the time this was filmed, wasn't she like 19 years old or something? That's like good she was a child, like, practically a child. <laughs> like, I think I could be wrong. She was a, the way you said that, Zach. She was a child. <laughs> uh, she was born in 76. So she would have been okay. mid so she, mid 20s for this. Yeah. OK. I forget. I guess because uh, wait, she was born seventy six. She's almost fifty. She's forty six now. Wow! And she Good was born her. in Oman. I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> you learn something new every day. Uh, her but birthday even like getting is back February to like, 3rd. <laughs> okay, nowhere near Ben Affleck's birthday. No, no. 
Well, even her outfits in this, like, I, I wonder, because at one point toward the end, like, I got the Blu-ray of this, like, mm-hmm. I think, like, during one of those many Target, like, buy two, get one free sales, and toward the end, so, like, I, like I'm seeing this in resolution that I've never seen before, <laughs> and, like, we see her, and she's, like, wearing, like, a knit crop top, and I'm, like, yeah. is, is there actually something under there, or, like, or is this, like, one of those things where they had to kind of, like, smear Vaseline on the lens? <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> It's so like, and like I said, so I'm just like, oh, I, I never got that question answered. I didn't really do anything to investigate it, though. But I'm like, man, like her again for a, a 2002 kids movie, some pretty risque outfits from her. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but once again, I think that that actually brings me back to something else I wanted to mention. The, you know, we were talking about how James Gunn, Raja Gosnell, whoever, you know, they put these things in for the adults, whether it be the actual jokes or, you know, the uh, the Mary Jane, the whatever, the cameos. You know, all of it's very tame. Even the body swapping thing, like you said, of course, everybody's lived that. Not not just like young boys, which of course is what they're going for, but I think everybody, you know, it's when you're that age, you're just like, you know, what is this whole taboo thing with clothing? And, you know, let's just goof about it. it I feel like it's on Nickelodeon and maybe not so much Disney Channel, but you know what I mean, like back in the day. The thing that stood out to me the most, and not because I don't think it was, you know, it was problematic back then. I think now, today, we are looking at it through a different lens. I I dubbed it the reverse furry scene of Scooby-Doo dressed as the women woman in the airport because I took it to be like, people were looking at him and being like, I'm into this. Like, hey, like giving him winks and stuff like that. Am I misremembering that? I, I, I don't... <sighs> Yeah, I know what you're getting at, though. But I think it's less, like, inverse furry and more like Mrs. Doubtfire Man in Drag, but, like, with a dog. Yes, and I I totally get in 2002, you know, June 2002, that's what they're going for. That's what I think people would, you know, pick up on. But when I was watching this for this recording, I was – and it's not just that he's dressed up in human clothing and walking upright, you know, and pretending to be a person. It's the the cutaways to the other people looking at Scooby-Doo in the airport and seemingly being, like, not just okay with it. Because if you're okay with it, you're just going to ignore it, you know? But, like, him turning heads type of thing. That was very odd to me. <laughs> but you're but again, but right. I think it's Mrs. I think Doubtfire it's a... did that too. The go- the bus driver for Mrs. Doubtfire really liked Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> but I think again, this goes back to like trying to make a kids movie by adults. Yeah, it's like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if Scooby Doo was dressed as an old woman? Um, <laughs> like, I think that's the gag. Yeah, absolutely. like I don't th- I, again. Like I get the point you're like highlighting that, like oh, like Scooby doing like old woman drag is like turning heads, and that's peculiar. But I think at the time they probably were writing this. Wouldn't it be crazy if Scooby Doo dressed up as a grandma and that's like his disguise to get on the plane? Um, it it but again, it feels like James Gunn nonsense. Where yeah. like it becomes like whereas, and I think that's the thing reason why I appreciate this movie. Whereas like with Guardians of the Galaxy, I just kind of want to like yeet it over a cliff. Mm-hmm. In that like it doesn't sit there have the typical James Gunn thing of like elbowing the audience, being like, "Isn't this crazy?" Like it doesn't have that NBC sitcom layer to it. Yeah, well, yeah, you're right. This movie I, plays everything straight. Exactly, and I think that's why that's actually another great thing to add to when I said earlier. Like you know, the opening scene, they threw physics out the window, just like in Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. I'm like, oh, they're going to take this all seriously. It's goofy, but they're taking it all seriously. 
there's never that, you know, rib jab of going like, huh? Huh? Do you get it? And because everybody in the audience is like, yes, I get it. You don't need to tell me to get it. It's the why I'm watching a movie. <laughs> but like that's the thing, though, is that like I, I would love to find that moment where we like went over the hill in pop culture where like the joke didn't become the joke anymore. Mm-hmm. It's elbowing the audience that it's the joke. Yeah, yeah. It's not again, the joke can't speak for itself. We have to highlight the joke. And I swear to God, like if, if there, there, the point has to be The Office or Parks and Rec. It has to be or Thirty Rock, one of those. Definitely, yeah. where it became the thing of like it just like a joke can't be a joke anymore. We have to hi- the highlighting of the joke is the joke. Yep, yep. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, and that's where James Gunn kind of became like a hack in that yeah. way because that's literally everything he does now is highlighting the joke, not writing the joke. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and it sucks. I don't like any of that stuff. <laughs> you know, speaking of a good joke in this movie, I found it hilarious. I'm I'm tempted to say as I look through my notes, it might be my favorite joke in the movie. It's actually from the beginning when um they stop the ghost for Pamela Anderson's factory, whatever the hell it is. I just got to keep saying that phrase, ghost in Pamela Anderson's factory. Um but they all what they the news crew comes up to them. It's like right near the end of the cold open type of thing, and um, you know they they're all getting angry with each other because what uh, like a Daphne doesn't want to be the damsel in distress. Uh, Fred wants to take all the credit, but Velma wants you know to get some credit that type of thing. They're having their whole falling out, and they all start doing that thing where like one of them's like, "Well, I quit. I'm not going to work with you anymore. Like this is we're done. We're done here. Well, I quit. Well, I quit." And it cuts to Scooby Doo. He just goes do I quit? <laughs> and there was just something about that that I thought was so like wholesome and like purely comedic. I, I, I was dying. <laughs> and that I think goes to what I was saying about the cold open, just saying like, Oh, this is the tone this movie's going to have. I know I'm in good hands until it gets a little, you know, disgusting and sexualized the James Gunn aspect, but it never got overbearing. No. So I just want to ask you, how do you feel both then in 2002 and now 20 years later, how Scooby-Doo holds up as a character in this. Ooh. Um, I'm trying to... I'm sure I liked it when I was a kid. I'm sure there was nothing... No part of me where I was like, oh, goddamn, Scooby-Doo's the worst part about Scooby-Doo. Um, but I have to say now, I still kind of like Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo is the the right amount of weird... I don't know, CGI insertion into this movie that works for me because the other CGI creatures are those alien... Not alien things, monster things... And those look horrible. They look like big purple versions of the worm guys from Men in Black, uh, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about in like oh, two months or something like that. But I, I had no issue with Scooby-Doo in this movie. I mean, it's more of the scenes he's in. Like, I can't stand the burping and farting contest, of course. I think Scooby-Doo is, has like great, you know, as weird as this might sound, you know, coming from me, especially great like chemistry with Matthew Lillard, even though Matthew Lillard's probably like what – yelling at a tennis ball or something like that um but that whole that whole last scene you know when um what scooby-doo's gonna be like sacrificed or whatever and he like he's like giving himself over over and matthew lillard like gives that speech to scooby-doo where he's like you know we're just best friends and we're gonna run out of here screaming like we always do and get a sandwich and i'm like there's something very simple and wholesome to that that i appreciate um, in this movie. And I also have to mention, which we'll get to for snacks more, um, I really like the uh, post credit scene or mid credit scene where they're eating chili peppers so hot they are banging plates into their head. <laughs> but no, I, I like Scooby-Doo, yeah. Yeah, that's one thing I have to say, is that, like, obviously, like, any of these movies where you have 
I don't want to say primitive effects, mm-hmm. but something where you're like, oh god, like how's this gonna hold up how many years later? At no point while watching this was I like, oh, Scooby Doo does not feel like a character in this movie. Exactly. Yeah. Like whereas like I like maybe it's because I can like I take Roger Rabbit, for example, and like I, I I've only watched Roger Rabbit once. And I've seen clips of that movie so many times, like so many sequences just like put into things. And every time I watch something like that, I'm like, this is not a character. Mm-hmm. This this is like, oh God, it's like, oh God, remember those books? I think they still sell them, but they're just not as prevalent as they once were. Like, oh, like, like it's a kid's like coloring book, but it comes with stickers and you put like a sticker in the place. Oh, and they, yeah, yeah. It fe- like Roger Robert feels like that. It feels at, like that character feels out of place in that world. Absolutely. I don't Whereas with this, at no point did I find Scooby, the character of Scooby-Doo in this film, distracting or jarring. Yeah, no, I'm definitely with you. I mean, even if the – I know this is not really what you're talking about, but even if the CGI is a little wonky, I still like feel like he belongs in that world. That's and, the thing too. Like the Scooby Doo CGI isn't even that bad in this. Like no, it's pretty no. soft. Like it, twenty years later, it holds up pretty well. Like yeah. the the demons are a little meant. Like they're giant like rabbit creatures. Oh yeah, that. And they, some of that is some of that compositing is rough. I think it's like when they're attacking the um the resort at night, like inside the resort type of thing. And um, I'm just watching it. I'm like, oh my! I'm like, that's that actually screams to me like someone you know is like clicking and dragging them to make them move around. They're totally on a different plane in the animation. But in one of the uh, oh god retrospectives podcasts, I lost track where it came from. Made the comment that like if you ever watch OG Scooby Doo, you can always tell like when something's going to happen because the people animating the foreground is clearly oh, somebody yeah. different yep. than the background. Yep, yep. And someone made the point of like, was that intentional? Interesting. Um, like it feels like like something like someone's trying to rationalize it, but. It, it it's a compelling argument. Absolutely. No, and I think I think anybody who's ever seen a cartoon like from this time period, even earlier, they know what we're talking about. I think old SpongeBob had that. You know, like you can tell that Squidward's going to open that door because it looks different from the rest of the um of the frame. And I think you even brought it up once, Zach. On um, oh God. Well, I'm trying to remember. It was so long ago. It might have been when we talked about Perfect Hair Forever because it brought up Space Ghost, Coast to Coast. Yeah. And that yeah. whole thing of like, I'm not animated to move that way, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> yeah, that's that the is thing. an like, interesting take, though, if it was intentional. I, I don't I, think it, I don't think that was the intent, but okay. it's a decent enough rationalization. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I never came across to me when I was watching it that that's a possibility, but I like, you know, having that in a little like a back pocket of headcanon now type of thing. <laughs> yeah. No, like I said, like that was kind of the most like even oh, scrappy do like scrappy do. And we haven't even referenced yet. Any of this outside yeah, of just yeah. like it's it's scrappy do in a Rowan Atkinson costume. Um, <laughs> even he is like outside of his like hulking behemoth form. Pretty convincing as like yeah. another C- completely CGI character in 2002. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Because think about um, this is before Gollum. Yes, that's right. Like this is like what, like right as like Jar Jar Binks is happening. Like y- again, you gotta give credit to credit is due for like a a Warner Brothers kids movie. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. I didn't. I don't really have any notes about the CGI of Scrappy Doo, but I think that's a testament to how I was just kind of fine with it. It, it blended well enough with you know what we had gotten used to from watching Scooby Doo. Um, in in the movie, his representation, um, and then also, you know, he wasn't even a puppy; he had a gland disorder. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So, okay, we have to talk about Scrappy-Doo. Rob, are you aware of Scrappy-Doo's place in Scooby-Doo, like, fandom? No, I don't think so. I've heard I, things. Are you are you cognizant of it at, at, at all? Like, do you know what I'm getting at? I don't. Like, I don't think so. I feel like you might okay. say a little bit more to to inspire something in me, but okay. I don't know exactly what you're getting at. Scrappy Doo and Scooby Doo fandom. <laughs> Strange sentence. That Here I we just go. Said. Here we go. I'm getting the bleep <laughs> button ready again, Zach. You're gonna. You're, Zach's like speaking of inverse furries. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Um, no, like apparently the Scooby Doo fandom despises Scrappy Doo. Okay. Where it has become a meme, like in and upon itself. Sure, sure. To the point where, in numerous contemporary Scooby Doo projects, he'll come up occasionally, not often, but occasionally, and they'll be like, "I know there's one, like there's two specific things. There's okay. one where like." The, the the mystery in gang is like a therapy session and fred starts to like passively raf, uh, reference scrappy do and shaggy's like oh fred i've always agreed to never uh bring his name up that it's like, sounds familiar okay that sounds familiar and then there's like another thing where like they have like i don't know again i've never seen the episode i've just seen clips from it where like it's like oh god it's not a cemetery, but it's some sort of like statue of like Scrappy Doo, and like Daphne starts crying, <laughs> and then like like Fred like holds her, and he's like, "Never again, I promise." It's like, <laughs> okay, it's like, and like as a kid, I really like Scrappy Doo, so like I I really don't get it, like where this like weird hatred for him comes from, and then like the piece de resistance to this entire entire story is that like apparently and this is all rumor yep is that tim curry was offered the roan atkinson role and turned it down because he found out that scrappy dude was a character in the film interesting interesting which is possibly like <laughs> if that isn't true is like a top 10 hollywood story of all time yes yes okay so when you started that whole thing I just Googled Scrappy-Doo. No hyphen, two separate words, Scrappy-Doo, you know, the way you'd spell it. Um, of course, you know, uh, the Scooby-Doo movie comes up. Uh, Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed comes up. You can get Scrappy-Doo Wikipedia. Um, but two other things, three, four, oh my god, okay. These also <laughs> popped up in my Google, my search bar. Um, Scrappy-Doo found dead in Miami. Scrappy-Doo Death, Scrappy-Doo Lobster, and Scrappy-Doo was gunned down. So I, I clearly did not do enough research prior to this episode uh, because I don't fully understand Scrappy-Doo found dead in Miami. <laughs> kind of bonkers that like there's a certain level of like – like you, again, when you say Scooby-Doo fanatic, you're just like I, – I, that seems like something that doesn't exist – it looks like the picture on Know Your Meme looks like the um, the statue thing that you were referring to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll just read this part because this is pretty great. Origin. On January 20, 22nd, 2011, fanfiction.net user fourteen uploaded a story titled Darkly Dreaming Scooby, which mashes up Scooby-Doo and the serial killer drama Dexter. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's fan fiction that apparently uh, broke through the internet. Right on. I will have to read that one day. <laughs> I'm putting it on my reading list. <laughs> uh, but I do need to know what Scrappy-Doo Lobster is. That That is intriguing to me. Um, oh, it's 
apparently from the show, there's a picture of an, a 2D animated Scrappy-Doo in a lobster costume. <laughs> Why not? Uh, S- Scrappy-Doo dressed as a lobster gets us every time. That was uh, a tweet from Boomerang. <laughs> okay, good, uh, good Scrappy-Doo corner right there. But yeah, Scrappy Doo, weird, weird hill on, hill to die on. Very, <laughs> like, very weird. I didn't know it was so hated. I've never really known too much about Scrappy Doo as a character to be like, oh yeah, like if it ever comes up, I'm just like, well, sure, it's a character from Scooby Doo. That's basically it. Yeah. Um. And and yeah, I I but I didn't have a problem with him in this movie, other than that he was underdeveloped, you know, if anything. Um. But you know, we okay. So we've spoke about the CG. Whoa, Rob, Rob, did oh, you just yeah. say underdeveloped? He pees on Daphne to mark his territory. <laughs> like that's, that's a thing that happens. You think like, that's, that's the pinnacle of character development? <laughs> oh, it is, Rob. Like, like that's up there with letting the magic deer pick your president. Like there you, like, you have a character of pee on a female protagonist to mark their territory. There's nowhere to go but down after that. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. You are you are correct. Um, so we talked a lot about the CGI, you know, but I want to mention the um the set design and the physical props in that castle sequence. Oh boy! Like some of those are going to come up when we get to the restaurant. I know I have, I have some written down, but I just loved a lot of that stuff. I loved the look of that. That actually felt, you know, tactile. It felt like it was um, maybe, probably now that we mentioned it before, and I'm thinking of it now, like the point in the movie where the stakes are highest. Like I felt like they could maybe not hit a trap door and get sliced open or something like that. But man, there's some great stuff to look at in that sequence, and I thought that was probably the um, the most fun I had during the the whole like chunk of the movie. Oh yeah, no, like I said, that like, like again, it's not just what you laugh about real sets, practical effects. Yeah, um, everything in this feels tangible except for the the rabbit like demons. Yes. Like everything feels like again tangible, and even watching like kind of a couple times where we see like Scooby Doo kind of like fumble around like a physical set where he's just running into things. Mm-hmm. Everything that's not him is, like, actually there tumbling down. Yeah, and I think that's why I like the look of it so much, because it is so... It matches with the tone that the movie's established, but it is so interesting to see that happen, which is something that happens a lot in um, Looney Tunes Back in Action, which is just a year after this, so I'm sure, you know, kind of, you know, developing that CGI and stuff, and, I mean, it's the 2D Bugs Bunny and, and stuff like that. Uh, we hadn't gotten to Space Jam a new legacy yet, thankfully. Um but it's just so is weird. Is Scooby Doo in Space Jam too? Um the mystery machine is. Really? No Def- Scooby Doo? I don't know if we see Scooby Doo specifically. We a hundred percent see the mystery machine. Um, Interesting. That's weird because you would think like an animated property like that, and they're both Warner Brothers, like he would be like again, slam dunk. I know. I'm trying to remember if anything oh god. Um Oh, God, I just found a Google image with a big red circle on it. I don't need to click that, do I? <laughs> uh, it looks it looks like the, the, con- the consistent answer is you do get to see him and Shaggy in the background at a certain point. That but... could be said for every single, like, exactly. IP character that Warner Brothers owns you see, for that movie. You see Agent Smith in the background of that movie. Alex DeLarge. <laughs> yes, right. God, that this picture's so bad quality. I don't even know what the circles like making me look at. Uh, okay. Oh, real quick, yeah, real quick. Not to go like like off on Stanley Kubrick tangent, but we're going off on Stanley <laughs> Kubrick tangent momentarily because I feel like there won't be another opportunity to do this. Sure. Um, long story short, apparently, so I was reading something about Stanley Kubrick, and apparently, if you are a 
oh god, I think it's if you're a grad student in like the I, it's some university in London. Okay. That you get access to Stan, the Stanley Kubrick archive. Ooh, interesting. And I'm like, I'm like, damn it, I'm gonna be like, to, like $120,000 in debt just so I can see the edited out uh, <laughs> deleted scene from The Shining. Yes, like, yes. <laughs> but yeah, that's the thing because I just because again I, for some reason I just thought about that and I'm just like, man, like Warner Brothers had to write him a check for that, had to write his estate a check for that, and they're like, yup, go ahead. Well, thank you for letting me know. I will have to look into it. Apparently, the Stanley Stanley Kubrick archives are at the University of the Arts, London, um, and uh, fuck it, I've been to grad school before. I'll go again. <laughs> That's okay, we're gonna, okay, we're gonna have a new uh, stretch goal for uh, the Patreon. It's a uh, give Rob and Zach a hundred and twenty grand so we can be so we can enroll in this university for a day yes. and get access to something yes. momentarily. Oh god, oh that's good. Okay, I'll have to look into that for sure. <laughs> Um, but yeah, all those practical effects, those look great. It's a very tactile, tactile movie that makes it so much fun. I love that whole, like you mentioned, just to you know reiterate, hit it again, like a like a bookcase or something getting knocked over by a CGI character, and it feeling so smooth and continuous is is a good bit of fun. Um, and it only really holds with Scooby Doo. I'm trying to think of like when the monsters are busting shit up in the resort, and I don't think any of that really works um, as well. But you know, it's it's still there. Um, speaking of that scene at the resort. Uh, there was a line that I wanted to to get down. Um, I didn't have it written down exactly, but I'm pretty sure that when Scooby-Doo, like, sees the monster at the resort and, like, freaks out, like, before the monsters actually attack or something like that, Scooby-Doo's freaking out and Fred, like, grabs him and, and he's like, he's like, Scooby-Doo, you're embarrassing us. You causing a scene here is the most embarrassing thing you've done since cleaning your beans at Don Knotts' Christmas party. Does, does this line stand out to you? Yes, yes. So... Cleaning your beans. Yes. I'm pretty sure that the technical meaning for that is that cleaning his paws, because the pads on, like, dogs and cats, I know people refer to them as beans, but I've only heard that in the last few years on, like, stupid memes and shit like that. Are you sure that's what it's referencing? Well, the James Gunn joke is that he means testicles. Yes. Yes. But I, I... you do. You are aware, that, like for a while there, like in the seventies, they did like one-off, like Scooby-Doo TV movies, like where Scooby-Doo would meet Batman, Robin, oh, yeah, uh, Three Stooges, and one of them was Don Knotts. I did not know it was Don Knotts, but that makes perfect sense. And I actually now it's a weird deep think about cut it. Probably, yeah, yeah. Um, Don Knotts is the better part of that joke than cleaning your beans. The the name drop of Don Knotts, I think, will never not be funny to me. <laughs> But, like, it's such a weird joke because, like, in 2002, who is that joke for? It, yeah, Like, definitely. Like, think about it. This is 2002. I highly, highly doubt that, like, the Scooby-Doo TV movie with Don Knotts has aired more than, what, <laughs> once in every five years? Yeah, yeah. If, and um, I can't see that. And I doubt it had a DVD release by that point. It might have. I yeah, doubt it. If Pamela Anderson and Rowan Atkinson were for uh, mom and dad in the audience, the Don Knotts name drop was for grandma and grandpa in the audience. <laughs> I don't know if it was for anybody. Like, it just feels like James Gunn just throwing something in there for the sake of throwing something in there. Uh, Don Knotts is great, though. Uh, the Incredible Mr. Limpet, where he turns into a fish. That's, a, that's another <laughs> movie I've seen a bunch when I was a kid. <laughs> I have another line written down that I wanted to ask you if you remember the context of, because I did not put the context down. I just have it written. I'm pretty sure it's the next morning after the monsters bust up the resort, and um, what, uh, 
I think Velma and Daphne, they go back out and they like everything's fine. I think like everything everybody's just acting like it's a big party again and everybody's like they're like, Don't you remember that, you know, this whole thing got attacked last night? Someone's playing volleyball, I think it's volleyball, and like the ball rolls over to one of our characters and some guy just goes, Yo, Red, ball? Does this sound familiar at all? Do you remember? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, I don't know why That's that not... got me so good. Because, <laughs> okay, we, okay, I, okay, speaking of scenes that, like, make no sense, maybe you can explain this one to me. Okay. So it's a point in the film where it's Scooby, Shaggy, Daphne, and Ella Fisher, and they, like, call on the – like, uh, Ella Fisher picks up, like, what, her cell phone? Something like that, yeah. And she's, like – like, she calls the Coast Guard – Oh yeah. And the okay. Coast Guard picks up and like the Coast Guard's evil and like <laughs> like the lighting gets really kind of like spooky and macabre. Yep, and yep. like the one Coast Guard guy talks to the other and like they start doing this like maniacal laugh to each other. And then next thing you know, we cut to again, Daphne, Scooby, Shaggy, and Ella Fisher sitting on the beach. And yes. I'm just like, what like was this was this a deleted scene? Was this something that was excised? Was this from something that was more raunchy? Like you could take that entire sequence out of the movie, and it would not change anything. I'm with you. If I'm remembering correctly, I think there is like a quick line where the Coast Guard says something like, "Oh, we're gonna send a near a nearby unit go to this spot on the beach," which explains why they're sitting there at the beach. But I'm totally with you in the sense that we did not need to know the Coast Guard was in on it too. You know. <laughs> but that's the weird thing, though, is that like, I. What is the plot of any of this? It's like, what? what is the goal? Like, we know, like, okay. To we get go the, the whole... gang back together. <laughs> but Multiple <Scrappy> times. <laughs> but Scrappy-Doo is collecting souls yes. to become a hulking behemoth, except that doesn't matter because he just needs Scooby's soul. Yes. <laughs> That's a pure soul? Did they they say something like pure or something like that? Or what like... happens is is there's a magic deer yeah. that kneels in front of Scooby Doo. You beat me to therefore, it. <laughs> therefore, he must become president, which Scrappy Doo needs his soul for. Um, I think a big part that we're not acknowledging is that Rowan Atkinson, before he's revealed <laughs> to be Scrappy Doo, calls Scooby Doo Scoobert, and that was also very funny to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. And there's Melvin Doo. Melvin, yes, Melvin do. Oh, God. It's all coming back to me, Zach. <laughs> I have a question, Rob. Is there any, any uh, considering on Cinemati's, we are the masters, not just the food items for our restaurant that 100% exist in the former space of Mars 2112. Of course. Um, we are also a true, true marketer when it comes to tie-ins. Of course. Is we there have, any We have an award reason? for that, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a plaque somewhere in the restaurant with our name on it. Is there any reason why we did not, for this movie, get some sort of marketing tie-in with Mountain Dew? Oh, that's a that's a good one. Did we get anything? I didn't look into the food. Uh, to or nothing popped up in my research like immediately. But Mountain Dew's a good one. Um, but the fact that there's no like Denny's like yeah. like tie-in promotion for this is like a travesty. That exactly, and that would oh man, that would have been so good. Yeah, Mountain Dew. I mean, maybe. I, they, Mountain Dew was marketed to everybody in the two. I was about to say maybe they don't want kids drinking sugary drinks. That's the only thing they wanted kids drinking in 2002. They want right? to hook up to an IV line of it. Exactly, mainline it. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, a, that's a good you, one. Yeah, Rob, may I please pitch a movie to you real quick? Yes, definitely. You should make like a crank movie, like 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 Jason Statham crank, but it's like a toddler and like Mountain Dew. <laughs> 
That'd be pretty good, I think. <laughs> That'd be pretty good, like, what the I toddler has to, like... The toddler would have to, like, escape daycare or something like that. And, you know, if... It's during nap time. Now I might just be restating the plot of an episode of Rugrats. Because I'm pretty sure there's an episode of Rugrats where they try and stay awake during nap time and they can't do it. Because um, they're babies. Uh, but that would be it. Like, the, the kid gets his taste of sugar and caffeine... And needs to stay awake during nap time to escape or something. I don't know. Or get candy. Uh, who knows? We'll figure it out. We'll iron out the details, of course. Um, it, it's it's actually good that you're pitching such a great idea for a movie, Zach. And um, this episode won't come out for a month and a half. So we have plenty of time to, you know, copyright it and it. stuff like that. Yeah. Okay, it's very fun. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Good. Good, 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 good. You know, good, good. but here's, here's my other thought as um, you were mentioning that for food tie-ins, was there any actual, like – scooby snack product ever do you know oh yeah like that's exist like I, I don't like okay weird sort of like i don't know the comprehensive history of this okay. all i know is my own um oh god vantage of it mm-hmm. i remember in the early to mid 2000s they made for dogs actual like scooby snacks okay okay Nephew like bought those and gave them to his dog at one point he ate one. I was about um, to ask if my, you my, or him ever ate one. <laughs> yeah. He ate one. I I never did that. Um might explain a lot now after the fact. Not saying much like uh, Alex Jones and the <laughs> we'll never know. We might have to bleep we might have to cut that out because that might give way too much context. That's actually. fair. That's fair. <laughs> we might have to Rob, just don't cut out, just bleep the entire thing out, okay? Okay, okay. <laughs> All right, we'll keep it ambiguous still. I want um, the bleep to be so long, people listening to this go, did, did something break? Like <laughs> like is is my is my podcatcher skipping right now? <laughs> it's redacted. Um okay, I remember that happening. And then I I think Rob's gonna think this is hilarious. It was about this time last year I found out that Kellogg's was making graham cracker snacks. As Scooby snacks, and they were oh. shaped like little like like bones, and they were pretty good. So like in my car, I have like a tote that like that's sealed. So like obviously like a like no little critters can get into it. Yeah. And on top of that, like it keeps it like a little bit more sealed. Like I keep like, a couple bags of chips in there, some water, some drinks, just in case like I have to spend like a like a long day at work. And I actually have a box of Scooby snacks in there. Nice. There you go. That that keeps you up during nap time at work, right? <laughs> <laughs> That is the perfect uh, full circle right you there, everybody. Still, man, okay, yeah, I can get them at like my local grocery store and stuff like that. Baked graham cracker snacks. I know even for a while they used to have like gummy, like little gummy like fruit snacks too. That was a thing. Scooby Doo um, vitamins, of course. Gummy of course. vitamins, of course. Uh, I think that that have that has been overshadowed in the meme sphere by um, Flintstone gummies. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Are gummies like like gummy vitamins? Is that still a thing, or is it just like they put like the nutrition's now into the Ritalin for kids? Uh, yeah, you're probably right on that second one, right? There. <laughs> um, I'll just say, like, I don't really hear about gummy nutrient like like supplements anymore. Like, yeah. It's just like not that it, I look is, into it a lot. Is is, is 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 Ritalin now the only the only extra vitamins kids need? Absolutely. It's uh, it's what is it? What was the um? You know, like men's one a day. Now it's kids one a day is Ritalin type of thing. It's just Ritalin. <laughs> it says kids one a day. It's it just says it's just Ritalin. <laughs> oh All right, Rob. May, may I prematurely drop a snack into the conversation before I forget it? I Yeah, please do. And I'll look through my notes to see if there's anything else I want to mention. But yes, I'm ready. I do want – it says it says kids Scooby Snacks. 
And then on the box in the bottom, it says, much like the Scooby-Doo poster, where it has, like, starring, like, Fred, Daphne, oh, Shaggy, yeah. Velma, it says, it's just Ritalin. <laughs> <laughs> Ritalin, Adderall, Concerta. <laughs> it's like, this is more than one thing. Yeah, but you take one each day. <laughs> one of each, each day. There we go. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, man. Oh, dear. Yeah, I don't... I. Another great line I just saw. I don't think I have too much else to mention. I love um, it, it's a fantastically well placed line to make fun of the show. Since we're all together, let's split up and look for more clues. You know, it, <laughs> that's great. That's great. Um, and then they do that again in Cabin of the Woods, of course, many years later. And then I also have written down. <laughs> I I'm assuming um, Daphne says this, but I don't, I don't have it credited. Uh, purple is a fall color. It's the middle of May. Somebody says that. You know. Yeah. <laughs> It's a, really... it's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. It's not my favorite, but it's a fun movie, and I think that's that's the best thing for these uh this two thousand two kids movie that we're um we're coming up on or have now covered. Um, you know, when we well, get to some of the other two thousand two ones, I think they're gonna sit a little better with me. You know, Rob, like is I know lovely. I like Minority Report. I know I still like Minority Report. <laughs> you, oh god, can we? Oh god, we'll get to that. Um, Tim Blake Nelson in Minority Report? Can't wait to talk about it. Cannot wait to talk about it. (laughs) I can't wait to talk about Colin Firth in Minority Report. (laughs) Um, What's his name? uh, Max von Sydow's in that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Can we please – okay, real quick. We'll definitely talk about this in a couple weeks. And um, (laughs) can we please talk about a point like at the very – not the spoiler alert for Minority Report for a 20-year-old movie. Um, but there's a point like at the end where what the precog is like describing to like what Tom Cruise and his estranged wife. It's like oh, I'm seeing your yeah. son now. I know like, you're going through all yeah, things, yeah, yeah. and it's like he's making love to a woman for the first time. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, oh okay, <laughs> that's very specific. And it's also okay. very strange that Tom Cruise's character immediately says he's like, "Good, no altered dimension version of my son's a gay homo," you know, or anything like that. <laughs> it's like that's not the point of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear that's gonna be a fun discussion that's gonna be uh, like, I, I actually have seen minority report a lot of times it's a good movie it's a good movie <laughs> oh and we'll be following up uh we did ai last year so yeah. now we're doing the next spielberg look at that we're gonna become a spielberg podcast I hope we never do. I never want to discuss that fucking horse movie that I don't think exists that you keep telling me exists. (laughs) Oh, War Horse. Yeah, whatever that is, it's not real. It's a a fever dream. (laughs) It's like every time I tell you about that Adam Sandler 9-11 drama and you're like, nope, Rob, you made that up. And I'm like, well, right back at you for War Horse, Zach. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going through, oh God. What episodes that we were going through Steven Spielberg's filmography and like that camp and and you're like, no, Zach, that's not a thing. That's (laughs) I, I don't remember what episode it came up in, but I, I know it like got excised, and I think it's on Patreon now because we spent a lot of time talking about Spielberg. But I make a fucking fantastic joke in that little bit that we do on on Spielberg where you're, you're, you start going through Spielberg's filmography, and at the start you list off like two or three movies, and then you go like, Rob, keep count, and then we talk for like 25 minutes and you go how many was that and i go i think six <laughs> and it is perfectly timed that's uh that's why we're the next Abbott and costello um 
I'm, I'm, other, other than that in my notes, I don't think I had anything else to mention uh, except one thing before we get to questions, uh, unless, of course, you had other stuff. Um, my last note that I wrote down uh, was, who's this loser that Velma gets with in the end? <laughs> oh, the guy in the Led Zeppelin t-shirt. Yeah, I did not like him because uh, Linda Cardellini, like, I don't want to see her end up with anybody. She's like a... She's like the proto Sydney Sweeney for me. She's not sad or naked or crying, but she's the one who I'm like, you don't need no man. Like, come on, be strong. Well, you know, you know, you know what it is, right? That she couldn't be a uh, a lesbian. Yes, yeah. but she had a case of the not gays. She had a case of the not gays. Absolutely. Um, I guess it's fine if she if she, that's what's going to make her happy. That's what's going to make Linda Cardellini happy. Uh, Zach, I have a question for you that I ask you many times, and I feel like you always block out. Do you know what her first movie role is ever? Do you remember Cardellini? Yeah, do you remember the last time I asked you this and, and told you what it was? I I, I, feel, I know I'm being set up. Um, I want to make a joke, but I'm going to refrain from saying Avengers Age of Ultron. <laughs> okay. It is Good Burger. That's her first movie ever. Oh, she is, interesting. Uh, she's one of the psych ward patients that uh, Keenan and Kel get sent to a psych ward, if you don't remember part of good burger where that happens and she's one of the patients that dances uh to super freak because you know they have to like what play it over the intercom to escape or some shit Ah, uh, okay that movie's fucking weird um another one kinda, i saw in theaters yeah isn't it kind of weird okay so when this movie comes out in 2002 sarah michelle geller was the biggest name on the poster right like in the sense of like oh, yeah yeah had to be right isn't it kind of weird now that like the biggest celebrity probably if people watch this now, is either Matthew Lillard or uh, <laughs> oh god, what's her name, Linda Cardellini? Yeah, like, isn't that yeah. kind of like peculiar to think of that? Like, like not that Sarah Michelle Gellar isn't the name; she's just not as prolific as she once was. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. And same thing. Like, I think I said it even at the start of this whole thing. Freddie Prince Jr. You know, talk about someone I forgot existed. You know, for the most part. <laughs> well, he's become like a weird like like nerd actor now. Like, yeah. we're, like, he'll sit there, like, go on podcasts and stuff and, like, talk about, like, his, like, like being a nerd and, like, liking things. Okay. Like, he's okay. no longer, like, leading man matinee idol Freddie Prince Jr. Definitely. Definitely. Like, who's, like, what was that? Oh, God. Oh, God. What were some of his – Rob, we could do an entire series on this. Like, he would do things – what's that? Um, The Rachel Lake Cook movie – the the oh, Jessica Peel movie like, like <laughs> I can't even name these movies they're just posters with actresses on right them. right um yeah he's in uh, there's it's an entire subgenre yeah I think the Rachel A. Cook one is she's all that um I oh god it's its own Rob it's its own subgenre of it's like Freddie Prince Jr. plus actress on poster absolutely. it's the exact same movie every single time just slightly different absolutely yep oh yeah and you're right okay yeah he's been in some of the Mass Effect stuff the video game stuff yeah. and things like that okay okay right on um yeah like I said he's he's also Kanan in Star Wars Rebels like that became like a big thing for him okay I I. Rob is like I, you said. Some you, you said the word Star Wars, Zach, which is pretty much what I expect. Uh, but do you mean after that... do you mean he is Kanan the Sword Mistress, the Yu Gi Oh card? Because I don't think that's correct, <laughs> Zach. <laughs> is it bad that like when Star Wars Rebels first started, and I found out that like there was a character named Kanan, like that was the first thing I thought of was the Sword Mistress. <laughs> no, it's not because it's a it was a very rare card for a long time. I think they eventually did Rob, print it. Rob, Rob, Rob. Oh, God, Rob. Rob, I, I, okay, Rob began this discussion being like, Zach, like, I have to get up early tomorrow, so you have to be kind of like a little, like, yeah. refined in our conversation. But, Rob, 
No, we can do it now. Now that's in the recording, we can spend the two-hour preamble like we usually do. So we're still good. Good, good. We're putting the preamble at the end of the the recording. (laughs) Good. Um, Do you remember where that card first came from? Whether that was introduced by Konami? Do you remember? God, yeah, I do. Oh fuck! Do you remember? I remember because you're gonna remember. Oh, I will never forget this. What is it? Was it a special event thing? Was that what it was? What it was, oh god, this is like the okay, this is the deep, oh god, deep Yu Gi Oh cut. It was in 2004, like I can picture the game art for the game, but I, I think it was like World Championship 2004, yes. the Game Boy Dance game okay. at Toys R Us's. They had tournaments, and if you came in number one at your store. You got like a prize pack, mm-hmm. and one of the cards was Kanan the Sword Mistress. Yep. And I think you also got like a $25 gift card or something, and there are some other like like goodies in there. But my claim to fame for this was is Rob knows like Rob was infinitely more engaged with Yu-Gi-Oh! on a professional <laughs> level than I was. But my like Yu-Gi-Oh! experience came from the Toys R Us like circuit if you could even call it that sure sure and i remember like two weeks maybe even three weeks prior they had you had to like sign up for like the tour the game boy advanced tournament and i did i think there was like six people on the list day of the tournament comes and like you they weren't even doing normal like just like Oh card like dueling that day it was just for the game boy advanced thing okay we sat there and i know rob's heard this story before it might have been like 15 years since he's heard it but he's heard this story before and so I got there that day with my Game Boy Advance SP, and I was the only person that, like, was there who signed up, and <laughs> yeah. the Konami rep was there. Like, I can still remember all this, and she had, like, all these goodie bags, like, as Rob knows, I had, I had like, oh, God, I used to have, like, over a dozen Sanjinjins. Um, like in their like officially sealed wrapper because like this woman had, like, 50 of them, and she, like, gave them out. Like, I got so many duplicates of that card. Mm-hmm. Um and then I remember, because this was Toys R Us in Port Ritchie, Florida, and the next closest Toys R Us was in Clearwater. Anyone who knows their Florida geography knows where I'm getting at. And, like, everybody at our store kept wondering, they're like, what's going to happen? Like, is it just, like, default? Do I get it? Because, like, I think if I, like, got one, like, I was, like, I, I don't know where the, I don't know what the next level of this was. It was, like, semi-regionals, whatever. Sure. And so, like, it was like, well, what are we going to do? Like, is there a precedent for, like, like, default winner? And so, apparently, the very similar thing happened in Clearwater, Florida, Toys R Us store, where, like, this one person showed up, and they declared that person the winner. Like, because it was supposed to officially begin, like, at 930. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, whether it was Toys R Us management or the Konami rep was, like – no, like, let's just, like, give it, like, five more minutes. It's all coming back to me, Zach, as yep, you tell the yep. story. It, it, it's it, all it, coming it, back it, to me. <laughs> and so what happens was, like, when you signed up for this thing, like, you had to be, like, a certain age. Like, you couldn't be, like, a 35-year-old walking in. Like, I think the max age was, like, 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I remember, like, they decided to keep, like, keep it open a little bit earlier. And then, like, this guy showed up, obnoxious, obnoxious SOB. And he comes in like complete. I think it was like best three out of five. Okay. And he just clean, like just wiped the floor with me. And my father, like one of the again, like we've mentioned it a few times on here. Like Rob knew my father, like just knew him decent enough, like as a teenager, like was aware of him as a person. I played three D chess father- with him once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
my father never cared about anything I did, like never took a passionate interest in anything I did. My it was probably the only time in my life my father genuinely stood up for me in something I cared about. Because he was furious because, A, it was like the – like he was like reading the rule book and all of this on this. Yeah. It was like it was to officially begin at 930 and like it should have been shut down. Like if I was the only person there that was officially like enrolled, it should have gone to me. And then the second thing that made him angry was that like you couldn't be – I think it was the cap was 14 – or 13 years old or 14 and this guy was like, I think for whoever it was, he was a year older than what it was supposed to be. Okay. And my father was furious. Like he was like, like, cause again, at that point we've been go- doing the Toys R Us thing for almost two years now. And so, or a year, maybe a year and a half. And so like, he knew the managers at Toys R Us. And I remember him like talking to the Konami rep and she didn't care. She just kind of shrugged. She's like, what, <laughs> whatever. And so like, I remember my father's being furious about all this. And I was rather kind of just flipping. I was just kind of like, Eh, I'm like, I, I wanted the cane and the sword mistress card. Yeah. And the, yeah. Thing that, and the thing that bothered me the most about this guy, beyond the fact that well, he was insanely obnoxious, was that, like, he's like, I don't even care about the card. I just want the gift card. Oh, and God. I'm like, oh, yeah. God. I, exactly. That card was so expensive for a while. <laughs> exactly. That was like a $250 card for like three or four more years. Um, I remember just being so, so just like. And I remember the big thing was like I remember my because my father never bought me stuff and he felt so bad for me and then tying it back to uh, the 2004 year <laughs> was this was the same this is the same time that Van Helsing was coming out in theaters and my father bought me like because he felt so bad for me he bought me the Van Helsing like crossbow Nerf gun. That's a that's a pretty solid get right there. That sounds pretty cool. <laughs> that's definitely better than the movie. Like to this day, it's better than the movie. You know, like you could say like, hey, you want to talk Van Helsing? I'd be like, no, Zach, I'd rather have a like a Nerf crossbow thing. You know. <laughs> but that's the story to that. Like that's that was a thing that happened eighteen years ago. There you go. Our trips down Yu Gi Oh memory lane. And real, that... real quick, this this ties back also to blank check. Oh, um, what do you mean back to? We haven't mentioned blank everything check. Everything goes to blank check no! eventually. Okay, the bleep button's coming out. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> blank check is currently in the midst of record, uh, us recording, doing a Sam Raimi yes, series. I, Rob, I'm aware okay, of Rob, that. yeah, yeah, okay. I listened to their Evil Dead episode. It's like almost three hours long. The first half an hour of it, and I think this is going to drive Rob up a wall is them talking about Charles Schultz's peanuts. <laughs> like legit, the, like I drive home from work and I have like a 30 to 45 minute, minute commute. And like I got home, like I put an episode as soon as I got in the car and like I got home 40 minutes later and they hadn't started talking about the movie yet. They were still oh, on peanuts. I can only take maybe half an hour of them at a time, so I might listen to that just to get a sense of how the hell does that have anything to do with Evil Dead or Raimi? It okay. doesn't. Okay, great. It doesn't. But like, it once again is the weird parallels we have with them. We're yeah. like much like how Rob and I, in the middle of a Scooby Doo discussion, can go on a twenty-minute <laughs> rant about Kane and the Sword Mistress, the Yu-Gi-Oh card. Like, it's a complete, complete departure from the topic, yet here we are, nonetheless. Here we are, indeed. See, Zach, if we, had, if we had actually done our Evil Dead episode, you better believe, or Evil Dead 1 or 2, whatever the hell we were going to do that got scrapped, um, 
Uh, which we might do in the future. Who knows? I love um, Evil Dead 1 and 2. Army of Darkness. Uh, um, but uh, I would love to spend the first 30 minutes of that episode discussing the Coen brothers. <laughs> That's much more important. Even though we kind of did that with Hudsucker Proxy. Um, so I might just copy that audio back whenever we do it. <laughs> Indeed, Robert D. But yeah, Scooby-Doo 2002. Um, I don't, like I said, I don't have much more to talk about it. Okay. I think it's. I think it's just... Overall, I think it's a very fascinating movie because it's it's like oh god, inverse Mandela effect where it's like it's a movie I think everybody who grew up watching it enjoyed. Yet again, it's that opposite Shrek phenomenon where yeah. like everybody liked it and yet somehow now is like weirdly repulsed by it. Um, and I and I kind of don't get it because there's really nothing to hate or dislike about this movie. Um, it's cute. It's 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 quaintly bonkers for what it was yeah, at the time yeah. um and even rewatching it for this like at no point i think we said it, it never drags it never feels insulting mm-hmm. it never seems sophomoric um does it have some oh god <sighs> pedestrian humor yeah but like i think that's just part and parcel of what you expect for a movie made for adolescents absolutely i'm i'm totally with you and um you know that i think uh the I I can't be that against watching it. You have the fart scene, burping scene. You know the stuff that I really find just repulsive and like repulsive, not in the sense that I'm like I cringe physically from it, but repulsive in the sense is like I just don't want to see this in a movie. Um, but at the same time, I, it never drags on like you said. And man, just to reiterate, you know, it, d- did you see Zach Linda Cardellini's outfit in this movie? It's a great outfit. That sweater, revelatory. Now. Maybe the, the low-cut sweater or the turtleneck sweater? All of them. All of them. <laughs> She's wonderful. Linda Cardellini's wonderful. Um, uh, she was, this was not as formative for me as uh, a certain Lara Flynn Boyle in a movie we're going to be discussing in a, in a month or two or something like that. This was not as formative, but looking back, she's great. Uh, Linda Cardellini, you're great. You know, all that type of stuff. Even Sarah Michelle Gellar. I mean, I think she's really good in Southland Tales. I don't like her as Buffy, like I mentioned, but she's fun. And then Shaggy knocks it out of the park. Matthew Lillard, you know, he really he really crushes it. Uh, maybe that is my last question before we uh, tee up uh, Cinemarties in Late Night, Zach. Uh, are you familiar with the uh, Zvu episode with Matthew Lillard in it? I think you've told me about this. I feel like I might have, and it's in the era that, like, you, your mom probably would have had it on TV. Like, it was in that time period, I think. Um, there's a really famous, why can't I think, oh, the, the woman, his, like, he, he plays, like, an assistant to a, um, to a woman, and the woman's played by someone super famous, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find it, and I'm gonna be like, oh my god, how did I not remember this? Um, oh, fuck you, Wikipedia, it just brought me to season 10, god damn it, I'll put a correction in, it's someone that I should absolutely know, for sure, um, oh my god, the guest star segment is... Oh, Delroy Lindo was in that season. I'll do the corrections, Zach. Don't worry. Are you familiar, though, with the Matthew Lillard episode of House? Did you know he was an episode of House as the patient? I... As what? The patient. So he's like the one House is trying to oh. cure type of thing. I, Matthew Lillard's been around as a character actor forever. Like he's been doing it all. <laughs> everybody forgets it. Like, like think about it. He was, what, the main, like, spoiler alert, main villain in Scream? Yeah, yeah, of course. Of like, course. he's been around forever. So, like... This just kind of became okay. Real quick, just to bring this before is, is Rob like it was Carol Burnett. I couldn't remember Carol oh, fucking yeah, Burnett. Yeah, What's yeah, wrong with yeah, me? Yep, yeah, I remember that now. Yep, 
Can we just real quick? Because like, we didn't like we have to kind of highlight this. Like we're like. Scooby-Doo is right now in pop culture. Sure. What was that? Two years ago during the pandemic, there was the movie Scoob. Oh, where, yeah. Like, that I heard about like, once and it disappeared, it seemed. <laughs> well, yeah. And it was kind of like – it had like that same sort of like uh, animation aesthetic as like a pup named Scooby-Doo. Like, like It looked like, like they were like more kiddie. Okay, yeah. Like it weren't yeah. like teenagers like on the verge of adulthood. And I – what they recasted Shaggy from Matthew Lillard, who continued to like voice him like in all the animated yes. movies after 2002. They recasted him, and then like I guess like people found out that it wasn't going to be him anymore for Scoob, and like Matthew Lillard on Twitter, speaking of Twitter, and was like just like let the motherfucker burn. He's like <laughs> he like, like it got really like he got really intense, and it's like dude, you've been voicing this character for like over 15 years. Let it go. Like, you are going to be known, oh, God, for the foreseeable future as a definitive portrayal of Shaggy. Like, does it really matter that they went with somebody else? Like, like you were not, like, this isn't like Robert England and Freddy Krueger were like, you are the one that defined this iconic character. Shaggy existed before you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, I get having ownership of a character because you've been doing it so long, but, like... Like, it's also not simply, like, you are typecast. It's like, no one looks at Matthew Lillard and it's like, oh, yeah, like, that's Shaggy. Like, I can't see through him. Like, yeah, I, can't, definitely. I can't see through. It's like, it's so weird that, like, Matthew Lillard went, like, bananas. Like, <laughs> like really, like, to the point where I was like, man, like, that, that's almost peculiar. Like, I get being disappointed, but, like, it's it went to, like, a level of, like, unprofessionalism. Like, okay, way okay. Quickly, where, again, I imagine if you type in, like, Matthew Lillard's Scoob tweet. Sure. It'll probably come up. Sure. But, like. I remember being like, it was jarring, like being like, damn. Okay. I'm like, hey, I think you're getting a little too invested here. Care. <laughs> and to think that was only 2% of his power. <laughs> ah, <laughs> yes, we got it in there. All right, Zach, anything else? Are you ready for our questions? I'm ready for some questions. This is, oh God, this is, this is tough. This is one of the things that. Rob, do you I... want me to go first? Yeah, yeah, please. Cause what you've said is have redefined some things for me. So yes, please. You start. All right. Me. I'm going to say no to Cinemati. Cause like this, this feels like, like the culture is trying to make this into a Cinemati. Okay. Yeah. I don't think it is. I think this is a successful film that had people who enjoyed it. And yet inexplicably, whether it be internet culture or just, Stupid people are trying to convince themselves to hate something that they enjoyed. Mm, mm-hmm. um, so I'm going to say no to Cinemati. Um, a very rare instance of the world trying to make it into an oddity, even though it is not by any any definition. Um, as for late night movie, I'm going to say yes. I think this is a fun little romp at night. The fact that it plays everything so straight. The fact that all the characters, I'm sorry, all the actors do a phenomenal job of bringing the characters to life. Um, yeah, and that under 90, I think any movie that's under 90 minutes yeah. should be like automatic <laughs> cinematic. Yeah, I, okay, I have to agree with you on cinematities. I don't think it fits the bill. I, I mean, I think there are some strange, odd things that we've discussed in this, you know, with the, with the context of the movie, like you mentioned, but I don't think anything really pushes it over the edge. Um, it's, it's like you said earlier, it's that, um, you know, it, it's for adolescents, it's for kids, it's gonna try to appeal to more audiences, but it really is that kids' movie, you know, like you put it best, I could see it. I can see the commercials now in my memory on on uh, Nickelodeon and stuff back in the day. Late night, I think I'm, I, I don't want to say full yes. I want to say like soft yes because there's a lot of <laughs> other comedies that I would put on before this if I had the chance. 
But man, I can't straight out say no to this. Like this had some funny moments. Well, how about this? Yeah, okay. How about this? I will under our uh, one way of how we view things. Sure. We have said that as a late night movie, both parties have cannot have both seen it. Yes. Yes. That's the thing. So like, if it's so, like, and that's the thing. Most people have seen this movie, so this would be a very hard. Mm. Mm-hmm. movie to present is a late night film. Like I think it works if someone's never seen it before. Sure. But I think pretty much anybody I would say that was born. Good Lord. <laughs> after what? what would, oh God. 1988 has seen this. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I, and that I'm, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. It'd be tough to, you know, you'd have to find somebody these days who's younger than we are. Like you said, you know, maybe. And, um, even be like, hey, you want to watch Scooby-Doo? And you show them a screenshot of Shaggy, and they go, oh, that's where that meme's from. I never knew that, you know? But if if they're at that point, do you really want to watch any movie with them, you know? <laughs> that's the thing. Like, this is, this would be, I think it works as a late-night movie. Yeah, I'm with But you. it would either have to be someone who's never seen it before or someone who has not watched it in at least 10 years. I I could not agree more. All right. Well, then that brings us to snacks. And uh, I have a few. I have some food. I have some non-food. I think because I've loved mentioning it throughout this entire conversation so far, I think in our gift shop we should be selling the Pamela Anderson action figure. <laughs> Whatever it is, we should probably get a stockpile of them because, uh, I mean, those things will fly off the shelves. <laughs> um, I have another one that's real quick. Uh, I wrote down, quote, a Mark McGrath animatronic in the restaurant, because that just seems like it would fit right in. <laughs> <laughs> Does it have glowy demon eyes? I, I'm kind of. I didn't write that down in my notes when I put this uh, like to paper, but I kind of think it should be somehow demonic, and if not specifically with the glowing eyes, it should be a hundred percent trying to break down a door with a guitar. Like, <laughs> like a hun- Like I'm thinking maybe you know. It, it's like everybody's lived that. You go into a public bathroom or something, and there are those people who, when they, like, walk up to a public bathroom stall door or just door in general, they shake it like they're ready to rip it off the fucking hinges because they're like, <laughs> it might not be locked. It might just be stuck or some shit like that, even though the fucking thing says, like, in use on the outside. Mark McGrath should just go around to the restu- the bathrooms in the restaurants and bust down doors with an electric guitar. <laughs> Sounds like a Monstober event or something, you know? know, Like, run from Mark McGrath Voorhees, you know? (laughs) Um, I think my other ones were food. Did you have anything else? Or what did you want to throw at us? I already had my one where it's Scooby Snacks. Of course. Children's Scooby Snacks, and it's just Redlin. One a day, yep. Uh, Kids one a day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Second one is, I think we need, we didn't really talk about this aspect of it that much, but like the indoctrination camps. Oh, sure, sure. In like the indoctrination, like instructional video, um, which is kind of like, like the first part of like the don't is kind of meh. But the do is kind of fantastic. Okay. Where okay. it's just like, oh, God, like all this weird, weird two th- early 2000s slang. Um, possibly <laughs> this movie's the greatest encapsulation of like what it was like to live in the year 2001. Yeah. Um, as a film that 100% was most likely filmed before 9-11. Um, delightful between just the fashion, the uh, colloquialisms, um, everything I could possibly ask for. Even ending a sentence with word. <laughs> so are you saying that we would um you know kind of use that part of the indoctrination camp in the restaurant to some extent would that be like our employee training video like how do you want to use it 
I that could be some form of indoctrination. Okay. I'll let you decide specifically. Um, but even in that whole thing in the movie, like, do they really ever explain why there's an indoctrination camp? Like they're they're sucking the souls out of people so demons can go in. What does that have to do with indoctrination? I I, I took it as they're like trying to teach the demons like more about human culture, but it's clearly not working. You know, like is that what it is? <laughs> that's what I thought of it as. I don't think that's really explicit, but you know. I, it, it just seemed like they had a gag and they threw it in, you know, and hey, movie movie was rolling fast enough that I barely even thought about it. <laughs> exactly. Don't think about it. Um, this is I, I said I didn't have it. I, I had only food ones left. This isn't quite something you would eat, but I think you could eat it. So in the castle when they're, uh, you know, we get all those practical effects uh, that we were talking about. There is a scene in um, I think it's like the dining hall where what one of our characters gets like wrapped up in like sausage and stuff like that. And there looks like a whole turkey that has like some demonic arm coming out of it. Yeah. So yep. you're going to love this, Zach. This is clearly where I went in this movie. Um. This is what I wrote. I wrote, quote, a sausage BDSM room where the dominatrix or dominator oh, is a demon in a turkey. So we we have not previously that ever shied away. It is very specific. We have never shied away from having, you know, sexually involved rooms. You know, I know Ben and I have included the um, the stripper room where you're watching a stripper do weird professions behind glass and dance sexily. I think my favorite is beekeeper stripper. Um, I... <laughs> <laughs> I, I would pay to see that and not for sexual reasons, just to understand the performance of a beekeeper stripper, uh, things like that, you know, and um, we should throw in this this sausage BDSM room. I think I wrote sausage BDSM because like the the bindings on the wrists and legs should be links of sausages. And then the thing doing the dominatrix that I wrote, I actually wrote dominatrix or dominator. I put both the female and the male form, but then wrote is a demon in a Turkey. I don't know if a demon in Turkey has gender, so maybe I don't need the X or the or or anything like that. But Zach, I, I can clearly tell that you're on board with this and we should get uh, started on construction post haste, right? Post haste. Post haste. Um, the other ones that I have are pretty quick. Um, pastrami and bubblegum bubble flavored ice cream. I think Scooby or Shaggy mentions that at a certain point, and I just thought that would be wonderful. Um, dead Arnuki beasts. I'm pretty sure the Arnuki beasts are the monsters we've been referencing. And so why not, you know, chop them up, serve them as steaks and things like that. And, of course, as I also previously mentioned, I wanted to get the, uh, the peppers so hot that people who eat them bang their head into plates. If I'm remembering this mid-credits scene correctly, or it may not be mid-credits, it's like close to the end, the end of the it's movie. It's an epilogue almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, Shaggy and Scooby are like, you know, daring each other who can eat the most hot peppers, and I'm pretty sure one of them, or if not both, they like eat so many hot peppers that their their mouth and head is on such like fire that they start picking up plates and smashing them into their head, you know? Like, not, well, they, like, well, banging them, like, but actually picking up and bringing, well, like, bringing plates ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, what? Shaggy eats one of the peppers, like, has some sort of reaction to it. Yeah. And, like, Scooby's calling him a wimp. So Shaggy says, put your mouth where your mouth is. Scooby, like, just, like, <laughs> shotguns a jar of, like, hot peppers. Um, Like, drinks an entire pitcher of water. Um, doesn't work like literally takes like the serving pan or we want to call it, like serving like what tin and starts smashing yeah. his face to it and then shaggy grabs his tongue pulls it out of his mouth like a tex avery cartoon takes a thing of ketchup and squirts it on his tongue which somehow 
even though that's acidic, <laughs> cools his tongue because we start seeing steam yes, come off his yes, tongue. That's right, that's and right. then Scooby shows a face of relief. And then, like, Scooby's like, let's do it again. And then, like, Shaggy, like, reaches over to the, uh, the next table, has two jars of hot peppers. <laughs> Apparently, every table has a jar of hot peppers along with ketchup and mustard condiments. And they, like, clink them together, cheers, as they both, like, oh, God, once again, shotgun them. Yep, yep. And then we do an exterior shot of, like, what, the main pavilion of Spooky Island, and we see steam coming out of the eye holes. And then smash cut the credits. Yes. It is a... It's nice. It's I like peculiar. it. I, it it's peculiar. It's peculiar. That's probably why I like it so much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, any anything you know that any food that is so hot that you know you eat it, you ingest it, and you do the thing where you're like, I need to cause pain to another part of my body to prevent me from feeling the pain here, type of thing. It's got to be on the menu. Would that? Well, I have a question. Is it like, and, and I know this is like a weird like Simpsons thing too. Is that like if you eat like hot peppers or anything hot and you're not chewing it mm-hmm. and you're just swallowing it, doesn't that just give you basically like Oh God! Like just diarrhea. Like, like technically, it's like if it bypasses the tongue and you're able to swallow it. Yeah. Like yeah. you, you'll have heartburn and possibly diarrhea, but like you're not going to get that like burning sensation on your tongue. Not on your tongue. Depending on the heat of the pepper that you are swallowing, like a pill. It sounds like. Um, yeah. Your asshole might burn. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. Like you're gonna get some form of diarrhea. But, yeah, but dude, that would be insane. Could you imagine, like? Like, I feel like that's, like, a, a very high school kid thing to do. Or even college, where they're like, you know, I dare you to eat this pepper or whatever. And someone just fucking, like, full-on swallows a whole habanero. <laughs> and they're like, I did it. Give me my quarter or whatever. They're betting each other, you know? <laughs> whatever stupid amount of money. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, isn't that a Simpsons gag where, like, what, Homer's, like, at like at the chili festival and he, like, like swallows the wax? And that like coats his tongue, so that he can he can just right. like repeat repeated hot peppers without any consequence. Yeah, is, is and he that starts to go on vision quest. Yes, yes, yes. That's right. Is that and the Johnny same, Cash uh, is like a giant like what fox in the sky something or something like that? Yeah, there's some. There, I'm, it's coming back to me. I think that's the episode where what uh, Ned Flanders has like five alarm chili, but it's revealed oh, yeah. there's only four alarms, and he's like, I'm a fraud, you know, or something like that. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Oh, any other snacks that you had for the restaurant? Uh, I think that's it. I think that's. Uh, oh god, I think that's it. Because we don't even. Because there are there any drinks in this even? Oh, I guess we. Okay, one okay. thing we should bring up. That once we have that two year like establishing. Oh what, sure. Shot, yeah. We see Scooby and Shaggy in the mystery mobile, and like we see like they're like oh far out man like this is blowing my mind. Then like we pan to what yeah the mystery man, and we see like the smoke coming out of the top, and like they're really really implicitly leaning into the thing of like them like getting high. Definitely, yep. And then like we see them, but like this is the thing too that I picked up on in this is like. They're pretty much alluding to the fact that, like, Shaggy is, like, a vegetarian, right? Because, like, pretty much everything we see him eat doesn't have meat. Like, he references meat products. Yes. Every time we actually see him, like, sinking his teeth into something, like, what is it? It's, an, it's what, a fried eggplant burger with, like, chocolate yeah, syrup? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Everything he eats is, like, vegetarian-based. Like, mm-hmm. no, Scooby, we see Scooby eat, like, a meat, like, a... An Italian hero from, <laughs> yeah. like, what, the uh, rabbit demon? But, like, Shaggy is pretty much a vegetarian. And I wonder if that's, mm. like, just, like, a weird James Gunn eccentricity 
or that's something that like Matthew Lillard asked to be put in. Interesting. If, if 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 he is like a vegetarian or vegan in real life. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't pick up on that until now, but that's a good point for sure. Um, I guess the only answer is we have to uh, have him on to yeah. ask him. All right, we we have to go to uh, what was it, the Cameo dot com, and see what the going rates are for Matthew Lillard. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and we will do that off mic. We cannot go down that rabbit hole again. <laughs> So with all five year extravaganza, uh, yeah, I'll, don't worry. The five year extravaganza things are filling up already. You know, there's going to be no shortage. Um, uh, well, hey, four four year extravaganza was four hours long. Five years got to be five hours, like we've been oh, saying. No. So, you know, oh we gotta, no, we're going to have to record that not only in bits and pieces, like I have been. Uh, we're going to have to be recording it, you know, over the course of a month or something like that. <laughs> Well, with all that being said, of course, we are going to continue on next week with the 2002 Fort Month. Uh, that I will throw it over to you to talk about a little bit, Zach, because I think next week is a special episode. But if you liked what you heard, or if you didn't like what you heard, feel free to harass us about Scooby-Doo, about Scoobert-Doo, about Linda Cardellini, anything you know think about this movie, how much power you want to use and things like that if you're shaggy. Uh, Cinemodies at gmail.com. Head, over, head on over to the Cinemodies subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash Cinemodities, for more info about the show. Um, to maybe, you know, on the little calendar widget on the right side to maybe actually see what's coming up next week. Um, and then also you can find Ben and I and uh, sometimes Zach, like we mentioned with the Spielberg little rants that got on there, on the Cinemodities Patreon where there's a whole bunch of more Cinemodities episodes and discussions. And you can also get access to those while supporting the podcast to keeping us alive for another year because you, you all know you want to. That's uh, patreon.com slash Cinemodities. But now... Zach, here's the question. If you remember, I think in the spreadsheet still, it says next week we're covering the Bourne identity. (laughs) And Zach has been nothing but a flip-flop waffler (laughs) on whether or not we will actually be discussing this movie. So is there any, like, do you want to, do you want to put, like, a confidence level? Like, are we 30% confident we're going to do Bourne identity? Are you... (sighs) 30% I'm kind of doing anything okay, else, okay. you know? This is, okay, because I really have please no... let me do the solo Adventures of Pluto Nash episode finally? Oh, God. <laughs> okay, I put confidence level in doing a soul-born identity episode as, like, a 30% right now. Okay, okay. Um, I'm kind of thinking about doing, like, at the end of the fourth month, like, a, a 2002 summer medley. Mm-hmm. I want to do like I, we we already kind of mentioned this off mic. We discussed this of like doing some of the more like movies that have been forgotten, like Blue Crush, oh, Divine man. Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. Um, like, there's no shortage of like like Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. Oh God! Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> like, I kind of want to do that where like it's almost like a speed round where we talk about like six or eight movies and we spend like twenty minutes on each one. Okay. Um, okay. I, 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 something like that. Like, I kind of want to do that because, like, I feel like like an entire episode of the Born Identity is gonna be kind of dry. But again, like, if we spend twenty minutes on again, Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron, um, possibly the greatest <laughs> the title of a movie that isn't um, the Die Hard series. It, it, I, I'm leaning kind of towards that, where Born Identity would be a component of it. Okay. I guess then everybody will have to tune in next week to find out what we're going to be discussing. Uh, after that, I think it's all pretty set. We actually have a lot of the other things already, um, already you know, locked in that uh, we mentioned some of in this episode that I'm very excited to get to. And um, it's it's uh, it's good. They're fun. These anniversaries, I like them. We get to cover a wider range of topics. 
And then I guess, Zach, the last thing is, how are we going to end oh, this episode? I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure if Rob knows where I'm going with this. Because like, I've was i been sitting on this for the last two hours. I have a guess, but it might not no, be as the obvious one. Okay, I, so I, think it would be sho- I think it would be shocking if you got this because it's so obscure. Okay, well then, yeah, I probably – the one I have is not obscure. I was going to say I had written down um, that we would do the Shaggy cover of the Scooby-Doo theme song. But if Zach has a more obscure one, I am totally all about hearing it. Wait, wait, you mean like Shaggy, the musical artist? Yeah, yeah, did the cover of like, I think he, like he did a cover of like Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? That's used at some point really? in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> All right. In this, okay, this is, goes back to like 12 years ago. It was my freshman year of college. There was a song on the soundtrack for this movie um, called Things That Go Bump in the Night by All Stars. Spell A-L-L in lowercase, then STARS in all caps. And it is classic, classic early 2000s pop. And I'm going to ask before Rob plays it in reverse, he plays a little bit of it, like, forward. Because it is just pure, pure, like, just Zach, early 2000s, 18s music. All-Stars is also, in addition to how you described it, there is an asterisk at the end of their name. It depends. It's kind of like okay. A-teens where it was like, like A-teens, A, yeah. like, oh god. Um, well, much like how like the pound sign is Octothorpe. What is that? <laughs> what is that for? What is that for? Um, oh god, like the little like star on, on a, tu- like a phone touchstone. Like, what is that? I think they just call it Star, like Star it's 69, star? you know? All right, like there's 18 like versus A-Star teens. Like, I think it's teens, one of those. Yeah. Yeah. All, all stars, star, all stars, yeah. star, all stars hyphen, I'm sure, is somewhere on the internet, you know? <laughs> okay, I like that. I don't think I know that one unless it was played in the movie, and I probably just, you know. Um, it was played in the movie. It, it's played the part where – um. Oh, God. It's very briefly. It's in the movie for maybe a grand total of 20 seconds. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. It was featured. Not any sort of, like, lengthy capacity, but it is there, so it counts. Okay. I also want to just say that uh, when I pulled up the uh, Scooby-Doo soundtrack to find this song, uh, that song, Things That Go Bump in the Night, actually had a link on it, and I got excited, and I clicked it, and it redirected me back to the same exact page for the Scooby-Doo soundtrack. Oh, there's a music... <laughs> did you know that? Okay, off the soundtrack, there's an actual music video. Ooh, is it one of the ones that, like, incorporates stuff from the movie? One of those? 
I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. Like they actually in the if Rob when Rob eventually gets to this and like listens to it, there actually is a line and there's a lyric that's mentioned Scooby Doo. Okay, right on. I like But that. it's not the focal point of the song at all. So it's kind of like like a mystery at the same time. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, right on. Well I think that's a great a great way to close this out. And um, you know, I think uh with all that being said, um, we uh, we have discussed Scooby-Doo. We are fully kicking off the 2002 Fort Month, and I think the only way to end it is, uh, yo, Red, ball. Yeah, I'm a